Hello, and welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, no, no. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. Uh, that makes me Carrie Poppy. And we are very excited today to be talking to an author. Finally. <laughs> yeah, we uh, Someone who's written a book. We hinted at this a little while ago, but we've been excited for a while to talk to Alice Gretchen. Yes. Author of Wayward. Yes, Wayward, yeah. Wayward. Wayward, a memoir of spiritual warfare and sexual purity. It's a personal story that resonated so much with certainly my own experience, mm -hmm. and, and yet it felt so dialed up just in terms of yeah. how Alice was exposed to fundamentalist Christianity, mm -hmm. uh, charismatic movement, kind of the whole speaking in tongues, slain in the spirit thing, and that she had these parents who gave up their lives and their home to take their children on the road and sort of subsist on the kindness of other church people. Yeah. So kind of a evangelical Christian version of stories that you hear of like monks in Tibet yeah. who give up uh, the, asceticism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Stuff of their lives. And so she was homeschooled and experienced many, many different churches where she was exposed to all these ideas sort of out of the sight of her parents. Mm -hmm. And there's like a mission trip involved. And there's, of course, just all the issues of that sexual purity message that was constantly drilled into her. Yes, which is sort of the second element of, of the book. The one is this voluntary homelessness and then... The other is the purity culture part of it. And yeah, this kiss dating goodbye. Yeah, did you read that when you were a kid? I never did. Oh, I did. I was certainly influenced by its message. Okay. I, re I remember that kind of coming through various sources. But yeah, the idea that you don't have sex until you're married, and right. most people kind of understand that within the evangelical community, but it gets even more extreme than that. Yeah. And Alice will kind of describe that for us. It's a fascinating story. And you found this book before me. Yeah, actually, Alice had reached out well over a year ago oh. about appearing at the book club that we might be interested oh, in the book. Oh, great. And I... Because you, you host a book club, too. Yeah, yeah. The one where Carrie and I met. Yeah. Uh, I've been a member since 2006, and now I'm the leader. And I confess, I didn't see this email until like a year after it was sent. And I was like, oh, this actually looks really interesting. Yeah, okay, I will pitch it. And it was the highest vote getter that uh -huh. month of all the books we selected. And the book club loved it. And she came and she talked to the book club, uh, which was fantastic. Nice. In and, person? In person. Wow. But it just happened to be the week that I got COVID. And so I was, for once, on Zoom rather than in person. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. it, it all worked out, though. And uh, it was a fantastic conversation and uh, wanted to follow up on the podcast. Yeah. So you told me I got to read this book, too. And I went and I got it. And then I gave my dog kidney disease. You gave it to yeah. her. Okay. No, I didn't really, but my dog got diagnosed with kidney disease. It's been a really rough few months for me, so I apologize for the fact that I still haven't finished this book, and you guys have to tell me about it in the second half of the interview. Yeah, so uh, we'll cover a lot, but I, I can just tell you and everyone listening that there's a lot more to the story that's mm -hmm. definitely worth digging into. So there we go. Hopefully that's got you excited, and here's our interview with Alice. 
Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome, Alice. So great to have you here. And we're just so interested in your story. It's very similar to our stories, but everything's been cranked up a little bit. All the knobs. Yeah, that sounds right. We've both independently told our kind of Christian upbringing and backgrounds. And there's so many things in your book, Wayward, a memoir of spiritual warfare and sexual purity that to me just sounded so familiar, like my very uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of God upbringing. Mm -hmm. And then Carrie had this kind of uh, church camp conversion. Yeah, I was more of the standard American Christian household until I turned 12. And then I went to church camp. And I was the only religious person in my family, but I became intensely religious. Oh, wow. Yeah. So mine was short lived, but intense. You both kind of went in the deep end. Right oh, from wow. the beginning, I think. How long was your stay in the, <laughs> in the church? Just like being in a hotel. Yeah. Um, How was your stay? Yeah, when I, did you check out? I checked in it when I was 12, and I checked out, let's see, in 2008 when I was 25. Oh, so that was, okay, so your entire adolescence and young, yeah. young adulthood. Totally. That's yeah. big. Oh, man, I'm going to have to listen to some episodes to hear, like, what that was like for your family, seeing you become a Jesus freak, and then for sure. your own deconversion. And then I remember talking with you, Ross, yeah. briefly. You said you were kind of in it for a much longer yeah I was raised in the assemblies of God though kind of like what you said my church community called themselves non-denominational yes. but then later on in hindsight I realized oh this is very denominational oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, what is that? It seems like non-denominational has become its own little... It's like, its own denomination. Yeah. For sure. Code word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's like the independent party in the United States where yeah. it's like that's oh, now right. its own thing yeah. that has its yeah. own little tenets and whatnot. Buyer beware. If you sign up for the American Independent Party, it is not non-party voting. You are actually signing up for a party that's kind of a like far a... far right a, Yeah, party. like a modern John Birch society. So yeah. just a warning. I work as a poll worker, so a lot of people show up and they're like... Like, oh, I'm registered without a party. It's like, sorry, you can't vote in this primary. Uh, yeah, yep. interesting. This uh, this happened to my mother. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. So. We're easily distracted. That's another <laughs> feature of our show. But so, okay, so did you consider yourself non-denominational the entire time? The entire time. And furthermore, not only were we non-denominational, we were not religious. Uh, oh, that's incorrect. We have a relationship with yes. Jesus. It's a relationship, uh, yes. not a religion. Oh, yeah. Man. And okay. like to be called religious. It's all flooding back. It was like a slur back then. Like mm -hmm. you would to oh. say like that person's so religious means that they're like legalistic. Oh, they're it the tax collectors. Going to yes, church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Oh, hell yes. yeah. Okay. Oh, I haven't heard that one, but yeah. <laughs> That's what uh, Keith Green said, the Christian recording artist. Oh, how Cute. funny. Now, did you do the audiobook as well? I did, yes. I just, should have listened to the audio. I listened to quite a bit of it. You've got a lovely voice for radio. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah it just came out on Audible. I first That's released I it, it yeah. on Soundwise, but then I, I was having too many issues with the app. Sorry, Soundwise, but get better. <laughs> um, My and, mom owns Soundwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it's on Audible now. So, yeah, you can find it there. Ross, would you say that this memoir is kind of like your growing up, but way worse <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what i would say <laughs> okay no alice now what's your pun about the title of your oh own my god. book oh my god i can't i can't i'm too close to it i spent <laughs> way too long thinking about this title guys well, as i'm sure you know oh, okay. yeah, what were some of the other options oh man what, that's, what made it no to the top bracket 
Okay, so some of the other options. Away in Jesus' name. Oh. Because that sounds like it's from a song. It, or you how know, you, it might be. Or how you cast out a demon. Exactly. Uh, uh, you say, go away in Jesus' uh, name. Right. And there were multiple meanings to it. I feel like I'm talking about a bad tattoo. you <laughs> got away. Yeah. Yeah. So away in Jesus' name. Like when I was little, I was so scared of the demonic and terrified oh, of hell. Yeah. Like that was mm-hmm. always way more real to me than God and the angels ever Oh, were. yes. Uh-huh. And I would see things, I guess, when I was a little kid. Looking back. I think I had just an extremely vivid imagination and terrifying bad dreams. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But like my parents would tell me that when I saw demons, all I had to do was tell them to go away in Jesus name and they would run, yeah. scuttle into the shadows. Yep. And it so worked? it was something that I said a lot. No, it did not work. Oh, no. <laughs> if it worked, they always came back. Okay. Uh. And then also my family went away as in sold our mm-hmm. house and hit yeah. the road and left. My father left his job um, because quote unquote, God suggested the idea and inspired them and so we were also going away from home in jesus name and then finally i went away not necessarily in jesus name but away from jesus's name so yeah the triple that title, entendre yeah triple entendre yeah. i'm glad i'm glad it's just wayward i like the one word and it you know it implies both a rebelliousness like to have a wayward child mm-hmm. and also you know there's the wayward woman of proverbs who i was definitely not supposed to be and who i definitely became you wanted to be a proverbs 31 lady <laughs> that's what was supposed to happen i was supposed to be the wife who served her husband all the days of her life and woke up early and slaved for her family with a <laughs> smile on her face and dressed them <laughs> in scarlet yep But it really strikes me in reading this how much you were not built for that, like, on the most fundamental level. Like, Mm. from your youngest age, we can tell, like, this person is thinking for herself. This person does not like what's going on Mm. at, like, such a young place. I mean, you do go back and forward and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes fall in line. But you clearly had this, like, inner compass mm, from, a, from mm-hmm. a pretty early age which think? is tough though because you can't compare your internal experience but sorry yeah yeah respond well that's to that. true yeah no it's interesting to hear you say that because like it's been in it's kind of been in retrospect that i've been able to see and certainly the process of writing the book was a part of that that i've been able to see oh i did exist you know because mm-hmm. i because it didn't feel like i did and i've described it before as though i didn't exist my desires were if they were good they were from god if they were bad they were from the devil and i didn't know mm. where i was i didn't know what thoughts were mine because mm. you're taught you know that your thoughts are untrustworthy and that you know if they're not in line with the teachings that they're probably from the devil Mm -hmm. and if they are then that means they're from god so i always felt like where am i i don't exist and Mm. there's all of that affirmation in the bible and in the church that no like you nor should you exist you know you need Mm -hmm. to be a walking witness to god a servant of christ at all times and so like there was there's no room for you it's always what god wants first Um, They would say, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Uh Mm -hmm. And they'd say, your heart is deceitfully wicked and untrustworthy above all things. And so it's like, Mm. yet again, I don't exist. But you're Mm. right, though. Looking back, I can definitely see like, no, I I did exist. I was always an inquisitive little kid, asked way too many questions Mm. and (laughs) and nothing made sense. And I just always wavered throughout my upbringing between falling in line, like you said, and and going along with it and buying it and fully committing to it wholeheartedly, Mm -hmm. especially as I got older Mm -hmm. in my teen years. I would waver, though, between that and knowing deep down this isn't right. Something's Mm. not right. Like there would be incidents where it was like they can call it what they want, but I know like this was not right. In the verbiage that I had at the time, I would think like, that was not God. That can't be right about God. And now Mm. 
no longer believing in God, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> I can look back and be like, that just wasn't right, you know? Uh-huh. And yeah. we all knew it. And I would try to say it sometimes and get shut down very quickly and prayed for. And, and what a bold step, like the first time you find the courage to say that wasn't right. Like Carrie had kind of a moment where in her story, she mm-hmm. had to say, oh, I guess then I disagree with the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's a it's big scary. ground shifting. And it's a very point of no return kind yes. of thing to admit to yourself. Yeah, Something you say very hesitantly the first time and then mm-hmm. more boldly each time thereafter. Wow. Oh. Cool, I can assert my own mm-hmm. thought. And wh- while you were saying that, I was remembering a refrain that I would often hear and even repeat, but I remember kind of internally wrestling with the idea that the more God-like you become, the more Jesus-like you become, uh, the more you are yourself, the more you find yourself. And, mm. I, and I remember in the back of my head thinking, oh, well, aren't we kind of becoming <laughs> more like each other? And mm-hmm. uh, Stepford wife isn't mm-hmm. quite the right phrase for that. But, you know, like I realized, like, like, wait, how does that make me more me? Maybe like the... Mm. The sinful things are the false things. Did you ever have that kind of same estimation of finding yourself through becoming more Christ-like? Yeah, I think so. I thought I did. I felt like who I was supposed to be definitely was Christ-like. And so whenever people would tell me, you know, the compliments that as Christians we so desperately wanted to hear, things like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, that was so Christ-like, or oh, I really (laughs) felt the Lord moving through you, or like God's love just radiates from you, like all of that. Yeah. (gasps) The gold stars. Um, (laughs) When I would get the gold stars, yeah, it would definitely inspire me toward that. I think maybe, I don't know, for some reason, the, the answer that's coming to me when I think of what you just said and the question that you're asking, I don't know why this is coming to me, but it was like, I remember when I was 21 and I had just lost my faith and I was going through really bad panic attacks. I was visiting my ex-boyfriend's mom, his family for Christmas, and she's a psychologist and she knew that I liked pop psychology quizzes. And so she like gave me this personality test. It ended up being the Myers-Briggs test, which I do enjoy Mm -hmm. with grains of salt, but I do enjoy it. I tested as an INFP, which introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. Okay. Anyone who knows the Myers-Briggs personality profile knows the INFP is one of the most docile, laid back, sweet, giving, selfless, supporter, supporter, doesn't cause waves, very, some might say meek, like it's a bad thing. But I I quite find most INFPs I know to be very endearing, sort of agreeable, very agreeable, Mm -hmm. high in agreeability, another personality profile. Someone needs to mold a little bit to make this situation work. I'm going to mold to make this work. I'm going to be what's needed and not cause waves and just keep quiet, only speak up when spoken to. Yeah. And that's how I tested. And then like five years later, coming more into myself, I tested very differently and and it's been consistent then. Now I'm the INTJ. So it's the last Mm. two letters that change thinking and judging as opposed to feeling and perceiving, which when I look back, it's been a trip to look back like on my book, most of which I wrote before, you Mm -hmm. know, I've written, it took me 10 years to write my book in Mm. spurts. And it's like, oh no, of course I was an INTJ little kid. I was very logical. I was very literal. I Mm. took things way too seriously and I was very studious and investigative and I was not very go with the flow. I remember my grandparents calling me the feminist in the family. Oh. And like, it was scary. I knew that that was like not that a compliment. That was a compliment, yeah. And like, because I just thought like women should be allowed to play football if they wanted and oh, wow. basic things like that. And he was and, like, no, that will give you traumatic brain injury. Yeah, and, yeah. and it would. Yeah, you know, he was right. Yeah. To be fair. Um, but it's interesting when going back to your question, Ross, it's like I look back and I think I typed as an INFP 
for that early on because that was who I thought I had to be. That was the Proverbs 31 woman. You she answered was subservient. the questions according to kind of where yes. you thought mm. Alice should be at. And how I trained myself to be. So mm-hmm. I, even though I was consciously doing my best to answer honestly, like yeah. it always says at the top of the quiz, like don't answer how you think you are or how you mm. wish you were. Answer, try to be honest with yourself, yeah. you know? So I did. And I think, I think I'd brainwashed myself by that point into being this version of a woman that I that it was acceptable mm. and that I'd gotten the gold stars for yeah you know? and then I think coming into my own over a few years it's like oh actually this was who I've been the whole mm. time and I thought like oh is this a phase I guys I freaked out I don't know how you know what you know about the Myers-Briggs but the INTJ is always the villain <laughs> every <laughs> archetype thing it's like they're the Malfoys of the Harry Potter world and the uh th- like the house Dr. House and you know it's like I mean the only good one that I've seen arguably maybe is Katniss Everdeen of the Hunger Games okay. it's like finally there's a good one but yeah it's a it's very like you have this kind of not very measurable likeable. shift in your own personality a very measurable shift mm-hmm. yes That's and I, it took me a long time to like myself I could learn to love myself. Fortunately, it was a very hard uphill battle, but learning to like myself was really hard. And actually, the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, all those other, you know, <laughs> fun little things, except astrology. I have it in for astrology. But those other <laughs> things that are up to us, not the stars, aka or God, really helped me accept myself and know myself so that I could like myself Same. and appreciate other people, too. So it's, yeah. Fantastic. We, we did briefly cover both the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram test on the podcast, which is funny because that was kind of our prelude into Scientology, which was one of our oh boy. bigger series. because oh, they, they get have the you personality with the testing. T- exactly. Yep. yep. That's how I tricked Carrie into <laughs> going there with me. Oh, boy. So do you see yourself as more thinking than feeling now? I've, I'm very close to both, but I do err more on the side of thinking. I'm great in a crisis. I act mm. first and feel later. Mm. Um, it's difficult for me to, even when it would be more appropriate to feel, Mm -hmm. I know how to fake it, but Mm -hmm. it's difficult for like when I need to, it's like, I've, I've learned the hard way, like, oh no, this is a time that this person just wants to be heard and empathized with. And we're just going to be mad at their ex-boyfriend right now. This is not the time to be like, well, but didn't Mm. you say that you thought Mm -hmm. you saw Mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. I need to put those dot connectors of my mind yeah, yeah. just to the side and mm-hmm. just be on the person's team right now because that's mm-hmm. what they need and, and go into my feelings so I think mm. it's very important to the, both of them are very important to me but I'm grateful I think that I err more on the side of T even though sometimes I wish I were more F mm-hmm. um, more feeling just because I think it emotions are just exhausting <laughs> and mm. I find them to be terribly inconvenient most of the time oh, okay. um, in my life I think that they're valuable and I value my emotions and I've gotten a, a much better relationship with them um, and certainly some of my baggage with emotions has to do with my baggage with religion like growing up in such an emotive you know Pentecostalism based Holy Spirit slain type of things. It was a very demonstrative, emotive thing. And I never felt God. And so I faked it. So I've been faking emotions and emotiveness my whole life for different reasons. Um, And I just find it all so exhausting, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That ties together a couple themes here, Mm -hmm. because a good example in the book of you being sort of independent in your thinking, maybe not aware of that at the time, uh, but also that, like you just mentioned, being forced into that expression of Mm -hmm. being filled with the Holy Spirit. I was really impacted by the story that you told 
very early on because it happened very early in your life of uh, meeting this minister who forced you. Oh, I knew this is where you're going. Yeah, it's so awful. There's two experiences here. But yeah, this first one, I especially there was this minister. Rodney Howard Brown. Rodney Howard Brown. Okay, mine was this like burly athletic guy named Donnie Moore who pushed me on. (laughs) They're always burly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, like his (laughs) whole to be strong for what we're about to describe. His whole deal was like ripping phone books and curling frying pans and chopping blocks for Jesus. Yeah. Radical reality. But he knocked me over because I was one of those people who could not speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. Everybody else around me was. And he came around, hit me on the head and I started speaking in tongues. But please, if you would tell what happened to you. Yeah. So I was I was about 10 years old by this point, maybe younger. And my parents took us all to this conference where Rodney Howard Brown was speaking. And he's some people credit him with starting this movement we were a part of called the Toronto Blessing, Mm -hmm. which is just an intensely charismatic renewal revival movement that kind of swept over the globe, but started in Toronto, hence the Toronto Blessing name. But Rodney Howard Brown, he's a South African pastor who's lived in the States. He's you may know him because he was recently arrested in 2020. For holding church during the pandemic and flouting the oh, laws of Florida. Right. Cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> um, My guy killed himself after there was a scandal about the wow. summer camp he ran having sexual predators. Oh. Anyways. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they all come to surprising. Nothing. I don't have a faith healer. Sorry, guys. Oh, <laughs> This is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So he uh, he was doling out the Holy Spirit. He called himself the Holy Ghost bartender because mm. like the goal was to get drunk on the spirit. Mm. And Goodness. people would come to his conferences to get drunk. And like you, people looked wasted. And as an experienced not adult on now, alcohol, not on alcohol. Okay. No. But like it, it. They're staggering. They're oh, staggering. Yeah, they're slurring their words. Uh-huh. They're laughing hysterically, literally rolling out of their chairs on the floor. Girls not caring if their dress is rolling up like you're just out <gasps> to lunch. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. There would be modesty blankets sometimes for when that (laughs) happened. But yeah, it was, you know, everyone who he would pray for would fall over almost instantly. Like he would just kind of cast his hand forward or like put his hand Hinn on the Like the Benny Hinn thing some people may have seen where he waves his hands yeah. and they fall over comically backwards. Or he waves backwards. his jacket and it happens. You know, like, <laughs> at least Miss, at least Rodney Howard Brown had the decency to touch. Like, or maybe not. But like I wasn't thinking it was coming from his jacket. And uh, my dad like was really encouraging me to go up and, and receive prayer. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, and I actually really wanted to get slain because it would mm-hmm. mean that God noticed me and loved me. It's like a physical manifestation, something measurable. Exactly, because it looks bonkers. You know, it looked bonkers to me then and definitely looks bonkers to me now. But I remember like I still wanted it though because this is what people said Mm -hmm. meant that God was touching you. And like to have God touch you, which sounds so bad, like (laughs) it's like that was the goal. Right, Um, right. And to be used by God, to have God touch you (laughs) and God use you. It's all, I mean, this, this God character, come on. But I wanted it and I, you know, I prayed, I held my hands out, nothing was happening. And I was just like praying so hard in my heart. And eventually I was on these stairs because he was on the stage. Most of the people were gathered below the stage, but there were these stairs in the center and he kind of had gestured me up on them when he saw me. And I think I was probably the only little kid in that crowd of adults. Mm. I was half like partway, almost all the way up the stairs and I wasn't falling over. And I knew a lot of time had gone by. And my neck really started to hurt a lot. And is he holding his hand on you? Or his hand is on okay. my head. Like pushing downward? Pushing downward on, on my head. And it was like, oh, my neck is starting to like hurt and get that cr- crick in your neck buckle feeling. Yeah, and so yeah. I walked down a step to try to like <laughs> alleviate. 
and his hand just kept pushing. <sighs> and then all of a sudden, when I realized he was doing it on purpose, it just like, I, I can't say he pushed me down because people will think I fell backwards down the stairs, but he pushed me down as in vertically. Yeah. Like I crumpled like a pop can, I think is how oh. I described it in my book. Oh, yeah. Just like, yeah. and landed all awkwardly on different steps. And I didn't fall backward. There, I don't even, there were probably catchers waiting for me, but I didn't fall the way I was supposed to fall. Mm. Instead, I just kind of like crumpled awkwardly, brokenly <laughs> down. And my neck was in so much pain. And I remember I looked up at him like shocked. Like I thought he was going to apologize. Like certain, yeah. surely that was an accident. Yeah. Like he tripped or something. Like I ex- fully expected an apology and some sort of explanation. And he just like, glared down at me and he didn't I don't remember him saying anything but I remember his glare mm. that's how I perceived it anyway it was a glare as like and a whatever, play along exactly whatever I saw the reaction in my body immediately was to like act like I fell naturally like by the mm-hmm. hand of God play like death. to play along mm-hmm. to play along mm-hmm. I the signal that I got was play along and make him look good mm-hmm. that was the pressure that I felt was like don't blow the pastor's cover mm-hmm. that he pushed wow. me down and we both knew it. But now mm-hmm. you know and he knows. So this was more, yeah. this was for everybody else in the room. This is for, for everyone you, else in the room. But you have that insight now. Yes. And that was like a lot to carry. And I felt I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my parents because like I just thought no one's going to believe me. Every, thousands of people come and like basically pay via tithe to see this guy. Yeah. He's like a celebrity mm-hmm. and like no one wants to believe that he's pushing little kids on stairs, you know, and yeah. hurting them. Like my neck hurt for days afterward. Wow. I remember, and I used to get really stiff necks as a kid anyway, but it was like that. Like, you know, when you wake up from a, a every now and then you're just so stiff, you, you yeah. like can't even turn. You have to kind of turn your whole body. Yeah. It was yep. like that for a while. And I mean, oh it wasn't God. really that noticeable probably because like I said, that happened to me a lot as a kid for some reason. So I don't remember anyone asking me about it. It's not like it was noticeably mm-hmm. unusual, mm-hmm. but it hurt. And then years later, I felt so vindicated when I was researching the Toronto Blessing Movement. I came across an article uh, that I write about in my book where this guy basically exposed Rodney Howard Brown mm. as a physical abuser. He would mm. he would kick people too to, until they laughed and like step on them sort of on oh, the floor wow. until they would pretend to laugh and force something of themselves that um, to play along. Wow. And so that to me, when I read that, I was, I mean, I was just like, Shaking just because it, it had been so many years since I hadn't planned on looking him up. It had been so many years and it huh. all just came flooding back. And it was huh. like, I knew it. I knew he pushed me. I knew it was on purpose, you know, and like mm-hmm. little Alice just felt so victorious in that moment. Yeah, but gosh, so that means that you were probably not even the only one that night. No, probably not. Yeah. I think many hundreds, if not thousands of people faked it and were physically hurt by him in an effort to play along. And I think what's going on there is they know as a calculation that you're going to take that all internally. Yeah. You would mm-hmm. never admit that to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, no. oh, I was the faker. Everybody else was real. Mm-hmm. No, they groom you very well. They would never call it grooming. But <laughs> the prep for this type of revival setting, because, of course, they, they know not everyone's going to get a miracle. Some things can't be miracled because they're not real. And it's to prime you and people watching for when that happens and God doesn't pull through, they layer on all this guilt and blame in advance. And again, they wouldn't call it this. What they would do instead is be like, you know, like, according to your faith, let it be, uh-huh. Jesus says. Mm-hmm. So if you have the faith that God mm-hmm. will heal you or give you a vision, uh-huh. like, that will happen, implying yeah. uh-huh. if you don't get that, the you obverse. don't have the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they would say things like, you know, Satan's got a grip. And if you are if you do think you have the faith, for those people, 
like myself, I couldn't have had more faith. It's like, maybe God's just testing you. Maybe you do mm-hmm. have the faith, mm-hmm. but God's testing you. Or you could be under demonic attack. And that's why God's not being able to move freely. So we got to go into the sins that are in your life that are giving Satan a foothold to keep the demons attacking you. Either way, it was all your fault. Right. right. If God didn't touch you or give you a vision or slay you or make you pray in tongues or fall to the floor... They had all of these outs that they would prep people uh-huh. with in advance of mm-hmm. not receiving a genuine mystical experience. So they could beat mm-hmm. themselves up with it later. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so the pastors are never the ones to blame. Right. Of we we see versions of this all the time. And the one that comes to mind is Rhythmia, which is a ayahuasca mm-hmm. center in Costa Rica that claims to cure <laughs> though they claim to cure people's various ailments with ayahuasca so it's we, a fun story but the short version is they invited us there not having listened to our podcast we reported honestly oh they tried to sue us in Costa Rica and Los Angeles because they did not like our reporting <laughs> and my horrible freak out on the last night of ayahuasca it's, it's quite a tale oh but Wait, so you guys participated Ross, this, Ross okay. did I couldn't but yeah okay. Ross did but they did the exact same thing so from day one they were saying well most people get their miracle use the exact same freeze mm-hmm. you just did mm-hmm. but the ones who don't are the ones who weren't in it enough <laughs> they weren't yeah. dedicated and this they weren't ready right you and, know like- and it, it turned really tragic in this case because there was a woman who went there to cure her suicidal depression didn't Oof. she was one of the you know 10 or so people dissatisfied with her experience and she went home and died of suicide oh yeah Meanwhile, they were advertising their, you know, 94.26% miracle rate. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a wild story. 94 points. <laughs> yeah, yeah they had being like, so the, there were a thousand people here this week? What does this mean? What yeah. is this, <laughs> to what is the this fraction? To the hundredths place of a percentage. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, you see it everywhere. Everywhere where there's faith involved mm. for, especially for like, Miraculous feelings, they're always going to give themselves an out. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to be their fault or the entity being spiritual. It's going to be non falsifiable. There's nothing that could exactly. ever prove the opposite. Exactly. Whereas when I go to like my migraine doctor and I'm like, okay, let's try the eight thing, he's, you know, he doesn't at all say anything like, well, you got to believe before this will work. You know, he's just like, yeah, makes sense, girl. Let's see if this one does it. You know, because because he knows that he doesn't need my buy in other than me showing up for the shots or whatever, you know, which I think is revealing. Yeah. Anyway, just my point is I get really bad my guys. This is kind of about me. (laughs) I I love how you brag about (laughs) the best my guys. Yeah, they're really good. And then you had another experience where you just, to relieve that pressure, you just faked it. You pretended to be speaking in tongues. I didn't want anyone to like push me down again and have it hurt. So like, I just was like, I'm going to take the power into my hands and I'm just going to fall over before they can push me and I'm just going to fake it. Okay. Okay, So this is so interesting. We have three glossolalia, glossolalia experiences. So you were able to fake it. Ross, mm-hmm. it just sort of happened. Yeah. And my glossolalia experience is I haven't had glossolalia, but I want to be involved. <laughs> um, okay, so so can you do it now if you, if you want to? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Just That's pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, Impressive. yeah, do you, in that moment, were you like, I'm destined to be an actor? No, that was like the last thing I thought I'd end up as, honestly. Honestly, yeah. like, I know, like, I just knew that it was more just, um, 
probably looking back, I would just call it like a, this sounds dramatic, but like some sort of survival instinct, social survival, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want more attention brought to me if I don't do this, because Mm -hmm. then I was where my parents were going to get notice and be like, why isn't God touching her? What's going on in your life? Like, I was scared my parents were going to grill me about my sins. I don't think they did. They weren't really like that. But in my head. It sounds like in your mind, they were far more strict and and demanding of your faith than they ended up being. Than they ended up being, for sure. They were encouraging of it. And we all spoke that language, but they weren't like these terrible, forceful parents, really. Your description of that moment was so poignant, though, because you were talking about how one song had ended and you're like, oh, shoot, well, it's already been a full song's worth of me sitting here not speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And then the second song was (laughs) concluding. And I remember that, like that feeling of everybody else toppling around me and just being like, well, shit you know like this is everyone's gonna notice now and what I didn't realize till adulthood was that my sister who is still very religious was another person who was not able to fall over and even when she was pushed on the forehead she didn't speak in tongues Mm. and to this day she's highly suspect of that as a fruit of the spirit or a gift of the spirit oh interesting but she's still a believer still very much a believer yeah Yeah, interesting I find it very interesting to talk with other Christians who remember that time and remember critiquing that Toronto Blessing movement and similar revival Pentecostal type settings Mm. as like demonic. They thought it was the false church, you know, or like... And like Catholics don't believe in that. Yeah. And they'll say, no, no, the speaking in tongues, that's purely speaking in other languages. And I remember saying, no, well, look in Corinthians 12 or whatever it was, you know, like it says very clearly that this will be unintelligible to man. (laughs) Yeah. Arguing in favor of it. Yeah. No, it's weird. I think a lot of contemporary Christians look at things like that as like the type of miracles that for whatever his mysterious reasons are, God doesn't do anymore, like parting seas and bringing people Prophecy. back to life. Yeah, I think they thought that that died with the Bible days. And mm-hmm. so if anyone was still, and that's why those verses are there, is because no, that did happen. People did speak in tongues and like miracles and healing the blind. But those today, cessationists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know, it's so interesting. Like one of my very, very good friends was brought up in a totally different official denomination of Christianity that wasn't like that really at all. Mm. And he remembers, we're about the same age, and he remembers hearing about that movement and he and his family just praying for us, thinking like, that's crazy. Like those Christians are being deceived and we need the God to bring them back to the true fold. And here we are being like, God, bring the (laughs) lukewarm Christians into your fiery fold. You know, like, it's like, show them the aliveness of your spirit, you know. So you don't have to spit them out of your mouth. Oh, you're you're like jittering because you're feeling it. Yeah, I'm jittering. Well, it's just so yucky feeling to speak this language again. But like I used to pray these things. You know, I know how to speak the language. And it's like, so you never forget, you know. So you mentioned the Toronto blessing and I hadn't heard that term. I wasn't aware of that. But I started reading up more about it as I was reading your book. And it went, oh, wow, I was really impacted by this movement, Mm. which started in 1994 at the the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. You went there. Oh, yeah. So you were there at the the heart. Yes. That's where the mega conferences were. So I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, small fellowship. It wasn't a church. It was a fellowship. That's how Mm -hmm. not religious we were. You meet at a theater Um, or was it somewhere else? I remember it was a basketball gym of a local elementary school. (laughs) I remember on Saturday nights. Okay. Good acoustics. Yeah. yeah. Good acoustics. It was like (laughs) it used to be part of the vineyard church. But then they broke away from the vineyard church because it got too denominational. I remember the vineyard churches would often be in theaters. I I would go to those occasionally. Yeah. 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 Right. Oh, there's one of those in Orleans, California. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. There's some here in LA. Like I like 
like when oh, okay. I moved to LA, I was like trying to keep my faith alive. And I remember I went to a theater church on Melrose. Hey, if you ever okay. want to go, yeah. we're all about going to church yeah. services. So <laughs> yeah, we'll, we love we'll go with oh, you. Have you guys been to home church yet? The one with the VIP section I for haven't. like the Beepers and Kardashian. No. Uh-uh. I know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, oh, let's cool. make this happen. Okay. Oh, I'm okay. in. Yeah. I want to get kicked out you. of the VIP section. I want to somehow <laughs> sneak in there and get asked to leave. Let's so do it. Where is it? Is it on Wilshire, I want to say? Like in in oh, like okay. Koreatown ish or something. Okay. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Sounds right. Yeah. Okay. It was a busy yeah. area. Anyways, I mean, sorry, you were saying about the Toronto Blessing. Oh yeah, the Toronto Blessing. Like it's it, Oh, in your original was, church in the Rockford. Yeah. So like the church that I went to for most of my elementary school years, it was a very small church, but we would go to Toronto to the church mm. where like it all kind of took off. And it was it was like in an old airport property or something i don't know it was the toronto airport christian so you would approach the airport and instead of heading for the departure flights you head off to a different street it was just this huge cavernous hall kind of thing like a convention center type room i just remember in my mind and i'm sure if i went back now i'd be like oh it's so much smaller than i remember because you know when you're a kid it's like definitely but i just remember these tall white pillars there were flags from every country in the world because there were all these people from all countries of the world Probably not all, like, certain ones. But, like, it was just, it felt like such Once a momentous... new to a 10-year-old. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> as a kid, like, I thought, like, oh, the whole world, this is so important. I thought yeah. every, mm. you know... And then when I got older, I realized, like, in my teen years, even when I was still very much a Christian, no one at the churches in Kansas City or Colorado that my family eventually moved to knew about the Toronto Blessing. Mm. And, like... Mm. But How couldn't you? Everybody was there from all I know, around the world. I know, I <laughs> know. And that made me feel really self-conscious, I remember thinking. But the influence was still there. The worship songs yeah. that we'd sing. I was like, I know this song. The the, the language was still there. And there, it wasn't as demonstrative with like holy laughter and seizures on the floor. It wasn't quite that dramatic. Not even praying in tongues so much mm. in Colorado. But Kansas City, yes. That was, we were there at the time that Mike Bickle founded the International House of Prayer. Mm. And yeah. we're part of his church. And then Floyd McClung from YWAM. Another one of our investigations. Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, yeah, there yeah International House of Prayer. So were they still doing that kind of, what we would say, cold reading? Sort of like a psychic reading that would happen in the form right, of a prayer channel, session? Channel the spirit where to they tell would, you. The Lord would be telling them very messages. specific things about you. Was I that- remember seeing a lot of that i don't remember that at ihop but i was there literally probably months after it was founded oh, so this was okay. 1999 okay. oh okay um, oh this is before those like sort of affiliated murders and stuff yeah okay. it was before yeah. it got like straight up culty and and really dark it was mm-hmm. still dark but it, just regular christian dark it okay. wasn't it wasn't <laughs> where it turned into yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. it would did not become a documentary and <laughs> popular podcasting yeah. type of topic no it's messed up though and like looking back it's like like, oh man, I was my youth group of Metro Christian Fellowship, which Bickle, Mike Bickle, pastored before he did the IHOP full time. Mm-hmm. We met in IHOP's basement. And then oh, wow. after youth group, sometimes waiting for my dad to come pick me up, I would just go up in the senior hires because I was in junior high then. The senior hires flood i think was the name of their youth group oh yeah um they would often be doing intercessory prayer at that okay. time okay. so there was still okay. tongue speaking and i i don't remember necessarily any sort of psychic prophesying there specifically but i've definitely been in other environments where that was happening and, where... and for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about ihop is the international house of prayer not pancakes no pancakes mm-hmm. involved unfortunately that would have been great <laughs> <laughs> like oh what's happening at the breakfast place <laughs> yeah pr- better things <laughs> <laughs> 
So your parents were really impacted by that movement and believe it or not, we're kind of at the beginning of the story. So they they get <laughs> yeah. inspired by it. And you're, it seems like mostly your dad decides that your family is supposed to pick up, leave their home and go wherever God directs without really any money or savings. Your cat's just sitting in the seat next yep. to you. Yep. Our- and what, what do you think that is? Did he just have wanderlust and he ascribed that to Jesus or did he hear something? You know, it's interesting because the bottom line answer is I don't really know still to this day. Mm -hmm. I have my ideas and I I am still close with my parents. Like Mm -hmm. I have a very good relationship with them now and I would like to keep it that way. Um, I feel like where I'm at now is I kind of know better than to ask them too much. Partly because, as I'm sure anyone could imagine, this book was challenging for Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. in my writing of it. What they've said is that their reasons for what they did were so to them and their recollection they felt are misportrayed in the book and some of the some other things too but they also can acknowledge that they didn't tell me anything different at the time and they told Mm. me what they did at the time which was that god said Mm. and so Mm. to me it doesn't really matter what their quote-unquote real otherworldly reasons would have been what they told me at the time and what I think they sincerely believed at the time too, given whatever other circumstances were going on, was that God was closing the door to having a home and a job and opening the door to voluntary homelessness and waiting on heavenly provision, which they called living by faith. Like Mm. we weren't homeless. We were Mm -hmm. living by faith. Mm -hmm. And there's a euphemism for everything. (laughs) There is, there is. And I'm not sure what their more worldly reasons were. Um, Oh, they haven't told you. No, no. Because I I think. Okay. I I thought you were saying maybe you didn't want to say, but that they told you, but no, they're just saying we have other reasons, but we can't tell you I haven't asked them to tell me because I think they would I feel like I've revealed enough of their life and I feel like Mm. even to ask them in private would Uh. be it would be a little tricky because it's like I want to give that one and let them have some privacy because believe it or Uh not guys I really love my parents you you mentioned in the beginning that you were trying to protect your mom a bit and her privacy yeah Uh, so they're not going to write their own response book like I've encouraged them to okay I have I've encouraged them to I'm like guys like Please, I'll promote it. Like, we yeah. can go on yeah. podcasts together. Oh, like, are you yeah. kidding? People would yeah. love to hear the different perspectives. Absolutely. Because, and I say at the very beginning of my book, in like a... Backward. That's what they can call it. Backward. Backward. <laughs> oh my God. That's Way better. Backward. <laughs> a memoir of being misunderstood by one's children. <laughs> when thinking you're following God. Um, Alice's parents, you are welcome on our show. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's interesting because like I, I really have encouraged them. and I think mm-hmm. they've flirted with the idea, even maybe okay. not a full on book, but maybe like an article or two. And okay. I was like, I promise sure. you, yeah. you can say whatever you want and I will share it. I will mm-hmm. share it. Okay. I can't yeah. promise yeah. that I might not add my own asterisks. Yeah. But sure. like, as you're welcome to add your asterisks to my story. But there are some things we definitely remember differently, as do my siblings and I. And I try to make that very clear from the very beginning in an author's note that like, look, memory we've learned from neuroscience is malleable. Hmm. It changes as we need it to. No one's memory is yeah. trustworthy. And that's why police detectives try to interview witnesses when things are fresh before mm-hmm. they tell the story so many times before other people influence their story. Like, no, no, no. He was wearing a brown shirt, not a mm-hmm. red shirt. Things like that because it does change. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading yeah. one time, yeah. which so scared the shit out of me to write a memoir. I remember reading one time that how you write an event down 
or tell it the first time is often the most true mm-hmm. and it, it will tend to stay that way mm-hmm. um yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. so i was like oh my gosh like i like i really need to be careful with my memories and so what i i've done my best to fact check Good. all of the stuff that's fact checkable in mm-hmm. my book but obviously i can't remember dialogue verbatim i can't remember of course did i perceive this person as angry or mm-hmm. were they maybe just stressed or mm-hmm. tired you know but in my mind they're livid with me you know it's like things like that so and I think every memoir author can understand this challenge and one thing I really appreciated about Tara Westover's memoir Educated Mm -hmm. she grew up in a very strict Mormon household great book book. but she did something really clever that I'd never seen done in a memoir before and I kind of wanted to copy her but I was like no I'm gonna let that be her thing Mm -hmm. where she would put footnotes at the end of every chapter being like my brother remembers it this way Mm -hmm. my sister remembers Mm -hmm. it that way this is how I remember it my mom remembers it this way Mm -hmm. and I thought that was brilliant because it is it is the truth all of us have our own truth. If there was not a camera recording, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we may never know what the objective real truth That's was. Right, yeah. But that doesn't negate. Even the... if we have a camera recording, we might exactly, not know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well said. Quite a bit. It can be doctored and altered, mm-hmm. all all sorts of things. And so, I think that what's important is when you're telling a story, is your subjective emotional truth. And I've said mm-hmm. before that memoir does ride the line mm-hmm. between fact and fiction. Not in the sense that anything I've written is made up it was true to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's exactly how I remember it you you laid that out really well and I think responsibly at the beginning of the book just to (laughs) sort of set everyone's expectations hey okay I'm going to present conversations to you and details about what people were wearing but I was a kid most of this time here's what memory is it's not that Mm -hmm. great (laughs) yes Uh, yeah that was important to me and I think gave a lot of room for forgiveness of memory and there's tons of stuff I've forgotten too that my siblings or my parents have reminded me that I'm like wow like I wish I could have put that in the book but mm-hmm. too late now by the way we keep coming back to the beginning of the book I swear the whole book is just as interesting <laughs> <laughs> this is actually really fun though because a lot of the podcasts that I've gotten to do have have focused more on the later part which we can definitely go but I rarely rarely do I get to spend time in my younger years so this oh, is good yeah well good you. I'm glad it comes in handy that my dog is really sick so I've read half the book so that's part of why we're still in the part first of half why. of it. But Ross has read the whole thing. I so have. Ross, yeah. what happens in this book? Okay, yeah. Let me tell half. Alice's yeah. story okay. for... <laughs> if you can just please do. Yeah. Keep yeah. it quiet for like just two, three sure. minutes. That's I'll great. just okay. over here. Well, as Alice has already indicated, she mm-hmm. was traveling around the country and even into Canada and so got to have many different church experiences. Okay. And in particular, she spent a lot of time in Colorado. That's where they stayed for a while because her parents got an opportunity to kind of get a house again and actually like you know set a mooring for their children okay, yeah. yeah oh i think that's about where i'm i'm on page yeah if you can start at 143 that would be great Thank oh so, so as much. i remember from yeah. page one <laughs> Uh, so she found a, <laughs> this is so weird. Uh, I swear I'll stop I doing this, it. but she found a community there at that church. They really bent over backwards to welcome her in. And against all odds, she raised enough money, what, $2,000 mm-hmm. to go to India Oh shit! for a missions trip. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Well, we have to stop here because this is too interesting of a story. It horrified me. Maybe you can tell us about this real quick, Alice, because I don't, have you gotten to this yet? This drill? I, I didn't know India was involved at all okay <laughs> so oh, maybe Alice, th- it's so good to see you here. maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's an introduction can you tell us this particular okay, harrowing yeah, story what happens in india before india okay before india okay, what happens in nepal it's not great in india either <laughs> so we the church the youth group that i'm a part of we're doing the mission trip to india you're using 
present tense. You're not literally a part of it now. No. Okay. Okay. In, in, no, now no, in no. the story, got it. No, no, no. The in the story, the youth group that I'm involved with at age 15, based in Colorado, we pair up with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, oh, uh-huh. who had their summer mission adventures program for teens. Who I were remember still them. Yeah. High school age. Yeah. So YWAM has a base camp in Colorado Springs where we went to for three days of missionary training right before our trip to India. Okay. So I like said goodbye to my family. I'm all packed up for India. I have my brand spanking new passport and I go with my youth group to Colorado Springs and we're on the YWAM base camp, which is right next to NORAD, the North American oh, Aerospace right. Defense <laughs> yeah. place. It's like, and okay. there's all this barbed wire and tall fencing. For anyone who does not been to Colorado Springs, it is all about God and guns. Like you, mm. there is a church and a military sign mm. everywhere in that town. That's where Ted Haggard was. Did yes. you ever meet him? Oh, yes. Oh, he goodness. was a celebrated guest pastor at our church sometimes. <laughs> he, would, he would make the drive up. An and, advisor to George W. Bush uh, who yeah. got caught paying a mail prostitute. Institute for that. Yeah. sexual yes. gratification. Anyways. Yes. Yes. Colorado so, Springs. Also home of focus on the family. Oh, yeah. Like it James is a Thompson. hub for evangelical sure Christianity is. and the United States military. Mm-hmm. And so NORAD's <laughs> a big deal. Like, and this is going somewhere, I promise. And uh, there's like all these just such a strong overbearing military presence there and there I remember my youth pastor saying like don't cross that fence you know I meet a bunch of guys with guns on the other side of it and it was like okay there's all this tall barbed wire fencing Mm. definitely not going anywhere near the fence while we're there in Colorado Springs I get woken up in the middle of the night by my youth pastor we were in the girls bunk cabin and everyone around me was packing frantically and my youth pastor's like we have to leave the country we have to leave the country we've been found out and I'm like what? what? And I thought America's at war. This was pre 9-11, guys, like literally a month and a month before 9-11. Wow. OK, um, maybe six weeks before. But yeah, so 9-11 wasn't really fresh in my mind, but I still thought like we have to leave the country. We've been found out like what happened. We must be being evacuated by NORAD because we've something bad is happening. It's something oh my God. horrible. And everyone's panicking and packing frantically. Uh, the, my youth pastor ushers all of us out of the cabin. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. We're in the woods. And we're trying to walk to this train station. It's like, we have to get to the train station. I'm thinking, my God, we can't even drive down the mountain and drive home. Like, we have to take a train. Like, what is going on? Whoa. Didn't even know there was a train. <laughs> and she hands us these pieces of paper saying, like, keep your train ticket. This is your train ticket. And it's just a torn piece of white paper, scrawled in handwriting, train ticket. Oh, no. Is this some kind of dumb theater? Yeah. Oh, my it's God. It's some kind of dumb thing. Oh, my God. But Are you kidding me? I'm thinking, yeah, you're there's child. no way that they would pull a prank this mean. Like, yeah. this, there's no way this is a joke. Oh, my like, God. Like, this cannot be a joke. Like, she would not do this to me. She's a mother. She has three girls. I'm friends with her daughters. Like, there's no way she would do this to me. Um, so you're and even thinking of the possibility that this is I, all a ruse, I was but thinking, you dismiss like, it. Kind of. Like, it went through my mind of, like, this can't be real. But uh-huh. everyone's panicking and freaking out. And I'm half asleep still. Yeah, like, I'm, like, yeah. in that groggy in-between place. You're and like, then all of a sudden. this is what train tickets look like. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, this is an emergency issue train ticket, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't know how. I can't remember how my mind justified it. But somehow broken I noticed (laughs) I noticed that this is odd but I didn't have time to sit with it I was just in such a rush I was just I like dismissed it from my mind and then things got worse and then we hear this man's voice being like stop right there and I turn and I can see in some sort of light three people with guns in black balaclavas (gasps) completely covering their face and camouflage pants coming toward us I'm like 
we went past the fence like of oh NORAD and like God. like they they stopped us they separated me from my group they jabbed one of them jabbed a gun into the back of my neck and marched me to this cabin I remember my youth pastor pleading like like no 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 don't split us up don't split us up we're trying to get to the train station and they didn't care they split us up he said he was gonna like hurt her or something if I didn't go with him oh and so I went with him I, I was marched at gunpoint to this tiny little cabin thing I didn't even know what it was but it was this little wooden cabin and they were shining this bright flashlight in my eyes and it ended up being the dude and this other a, a woman she had a female voice again fully masked I can barely see them and I'm squinting it's like like a horrible cop movie where you're just blinded oh my God. and it's this tiny little closet space cabin and they're grilling me and they're demanding that I open up my backpack and reveal my belongings my bible was right there on top and they're like you know what is your business here in China <laughs> and I'm screeching to a halt in my brain like a, we're not in China. We're in Colorado. <laughs> B, but we're supposed to go to India. China was never like my mind is yeah. splitting yeah. with confusion. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I remember what they told us to say when they went when we went through customs in India. We were supposed to say we were on a tourism visa. We weren't supposed to say we were there on a mission trip. <laughs> so I was like, tourist, I'm a tourist. Like, I'm I'm just a tourist. And they're like, well, why do you have a Bible? Are you a Christian? Like, are you coming here to get like poison <laughs> oh, our people? God. Blah, blah, blah. So drama. And I was like, yes, I'm a Christian. And then they're like, then you're going to die. <gasps> and so then they march me once more at gunpoint to the execution room, a.k.a. the cafeteria. And it's like cement floor. It's night. There's like a fluorescent light lit somewhere. So it's all like moody and dark. They pass me off to another balaclava wearing gunman who forces me to write a goodbye letter to my parents explaining why I've been martyred. And Are then, you still thinking this is real? I knew by this point this can't be real. Okay. But I was crying real tears. Okay. And they were not breaking character. And their guns were not capped with orange. Like there was no, I was like, they've all lost their minds. Mm. I, I knew it wasn't, we weren't really in China. But I also knew this was too cruel to be a prank. There's, okay. So they've all and, lost and their minds. And you also know that the mission is that you need to stay true to Jesus. You oh, that to... was programmed in me since birth. Martyrdom yeah. was the yeah. highest calling that you could do. Columbine happened. And yes. that was like... All of you... the stories about the girl who was killed who was after martyred. she said oh, yeah. yes. she believed It was my highest God. aspiration that I was told to be a martyr. Like, Oh, interesting. Okay, so sorry to screech you to a halt here for a sec, but you don't think they're from China. Do you think you're about to die? Yeah. Okay. I do think I'm about to die. And are you are you a little happy? I mean, you've been you've been <laughs> taught your whole life this is what it's moving toward. I was convicted. I wouldn't say I was happy, but I was dying with a clean conscience. Mm. Yeah. I've never been a great liar on purpose. Like uh -huh. I've uh -huh. I could I looking back, even knowing what I know now, had the same circumstances happen, I just startle into truth. Like, it's very difficult uh -huh. for me to lie under uh -huh. duress. You don't want me on your team if there's lying involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, like, you know that stupid game murder? Like, I'm terrible. I can't uh -huh. poker face. Like, that's just not my thing. <laughs> and I don't get me wrong. I can lie. I'm not trying to be a saint here. I can lie. But mm -hmm. it's not under those types of circumstances uh -huh. where yeah, yeah. I'm actually genuinely afraid mm -hmm. and the stakes are high. So I really thought, like, I didn't think they were joking. And I couldn't mm -hmm. think of what else it would be except that they've all gone crazy. Uh, okay. So they really are going to hurt you. Yeah. Cause they'd already hurt me. Like my neck hurt yeah. from the gun. And yeah. like, it was just, I was like, there's no way I don't believe I'm in China. I'm not sure they're really going to kill me or not, but like anything's up now because yeah. I never would have thought they'd done this. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was fucked up. And like he puts the gun, he like has me lie face down. My hands are behind my head in like, you know, the cop face down pose. And he like puts the gun right up onto my temple and it's like cold and the cement is cold and I'm crying. And all I feel is like cold and hot tears from every angle. And he like clicks it and there's nothing in there. Oh my God. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. But and he's just like, boom, you're dead. And like, I'm just lying there shaking like a leaf thinking, Did I guess now I play like dead. He whispered it? Yeah. Or- he like, like a what? fucking creeper. Okay. Yeah, that's how I remember it. Oh Again, God. guys, memory is fallible. That's sure, how I remember sure, it. Sure. And I remember I was just laying there and I don't have any idea how long I was there. It could have been half an hour, could have been two hours. At one point, these other girls from my youth group finally came in. The other youth pastor who was on the trip, she like flung herself to the floor and was like, but my husband, I have to say goodbye. Everyone was in such character. The youth pastors were in on it. I came to find uh, out later. Right. Of course. And yeah. the other youth group girls by this point just looked annoyed. So they were <laughs> smarter than I was and not as gullible. And by this point knew like. But you said out of like what? Two dozen kids like you were. Yeah. You, one of two who one passed two. the test. Yeah. They eventually oh were like. Oh my God. Eventually it wrapped up. We were marched back to the meeting room or wherever we congregated. The YWAM leader of the trip like applauded me and this other kid for being the only ones. Only Alice and Zach gave their lives for the lord you know like let's give them a round of applause and it was the most fucked up feeling because by that point my anger started to kick in yeah realizing like it wasn't quite a prank it was a martyrdom drill and he explained that they did i call it like a fake persecution or something but they explained that they did that to teach us what christians went through in other countries all the time Mm. to die for their faith and to inspire us to pray more for them this gold star had Mm. blood on it yes it did it did (laughs) what at no point did any adult in all of that proceeding say like, hey, hey, here's an idea. Maybe, maybe no. Maybe we don't do this <laughs> thing that we're planning to with the balaclavas and, like, the, let's and the guns. Least, can we can we cash out for the good train tickets? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's print some real tickets in advance with barcodes. Let's do this right. We have the budget. <laughs> uh, but um, you said like even in the moment you could kind of recognize like, oh, that, that guy is shaped roughly like the pastor and yeah. sh- she's oh, shaped uh-huh. roughly like my uh-huh. counselor. I recognized her voice. It was like my yeah. drama coach for the stupid drama skits we had to do on the mission trip. Like at some point, like I recognized like, oh, this is them. This is the, yeah. the worship guitarist. Like, and this is my drama teacher. This is like... like but they've all gone fucking crazy. I just think of all of the training that we have to work at Camp Quest, where I do summer camp, you know, and we are in loco parentis for these children. We are like their parents. We are behaving as yeah. uh, responsible mm-hmm. adults. We are only doing things that any other reasonable adult would do in, in any situation. And that is just so far beyond the pale. Yeah. Uh, you would have been, I think, totally within your rights to say, I'm not going on this trip. Oh, uh, yeah. It just floors me. <laughs> that that happened. How yeah. old were you? 15. 15. I was okay. 15. But you did go on the trip. You went to India. I did go on the trip. And I was on edge the whole time because like, I was oh, like, really? what else are they going to do? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I remember there was a shooting at the Taj Mahal when we were there. And I... You were like, I, I, did I, they put them. this yeah. on? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was just so on, just so on edge because it was like, are they going to teach us about like Indian... Tor- we went to an Indian medieval torture museum for oh, some reason. Of course some, That got approved oh. too. Oh, sure. Of course it did. And I'm like thinking like... I, I, could I just wake up in put Russia. nothing past them anymore. Yeah. And so it was like one of the deepest violations of trust ever, I think. But it was like, yeah. I was so excited to go to India. 
and I didn't want my parents to know, so I didn't tell them. You'd so hard to raise the money. I'd worked so hard to raise the money, which is its whole thing, a whole chapter. Um, I didn't want my parents to know because I was worried they would forbid me from going to youth group anymore. And youth group was the only social outlet I yeah. had because I was homeschooled yep. my entire life. Okay. And yep. so, like, I internalized it as a good thing. I was like, you know what? Like, it, it worked. I donated more money to Voice of the Martyrs, this <laughs> organization <laughs> that, Vom. I don't know, the help, I don't even know where the money went, guys. Vom. <laughs> yes, Voice of the Martyrs. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. It should just be Vomit. voice of the yeah voice Vomit. of the martyrs in trouble is what I was gonna say yes voice of the martyrs in trouble <laughs> let's start that one yes voice Vomit. of the, the, the voice of the <laughs> martyr trainees oh my god yeah, it's super messed up so like that's uh, that story oh and my god I'm curious how that all affects you long term because for some people being through something where they think they're gonna die like that's the clinical definition of a traumatic event yeah and for some people the data basically says about 10% of people will get PTSD after an event like mm. that and 90% mm-hmm. won't they just recover um, yeah. so what was it like for you the next I don't know six months or a year would you see something that reminded you of a gun and freeze up or did it just kind of did your body take care of it and it went away my body I think took care of it I think it was a drop in the greater complex PTSD that would fall under the umbrella of like religious trauma religious mm. trauma syndrome you'd already mm. built the scaffolding yeah it was it was a ladder it was a rung on the ladder of the scaffolding mm-hmm. that was collective religious trauma certainly I was on edge in India like I said like what like I was I was jumpy you know mm-hmm. and like I was just so mistrusting of my youth pastors of mm-hmm. the YWAM leaders like I, I de- was definitely on edge I don't know if I classify as like full-on PTSD yeah, like then it's probably um, not, yeah but just you know residual after effects of they were it was traumatic yeah, especially sure. because I did believe it unlike some of the kids in my youth group who were just more annoyed with the whole thing and knew it was like mm-hmm. some weird fucked up exercise ridiculous. Why we earlier on you woke yeah up. exactly that that type of attitude I think one guy even said like you woke us up for this like oh my god you know but I that's such a boy thing (laughs) it's such a boy thing I again I was just such a literal thinking kid and ever I just always took everything so seriously and I was just so naive still am you Mm. know like this could still happen to me again and like Mm. I just have such a hard time imagining why would people do this to you like they Mm -hmm. it must be real because why why would they do this you know well the reason it probably won't happen to you again is because most people won't do that you know like i mean but really i mean it is a better way to move through the world to be trusting because most of the time we really can trust each other and so it's so mind fucking to run into someone who's willing to do all that and of course it was for jesus like (laughs) yeah of course it was because this person was convinced they were doing the right thing that's how you get people to do really fucked up stuff yeah and and it's it's easier to live that way because it takes a lot less work you don't have to be constantly modeling the brains of other people to ascertain what their motives are and what are they trying to achieve in this interaction yeah it's it's horrible because it just makes you more cynical about the world in general yeah and Um, i definitely went through that like where coming out of religion the trauma affected me a lot later and mm. i definitely was extremely distrusting of everybody you yeah. know like mm. everybody um especially spiritual people um mm. and that was really hard because i had a lot of friends who were very spiritual like and not even raised religiously or religious but like you know friends who were really into tarot and astrology and crystals and stuff like that like this is la and it's <laughs> uh, it was really hard to be around them sometimes i would get really triggered mm. and lash out 
and feel so awful about myself and have to apologize. Mm. And it's still something that I, my buttons still get pushed and I find myself apologizing later being like, sorry, I'm trying to be less of a dick about that. Mm. I know that Mm. that's something important to you. Mm. Trying to be less of a dick because Mm. I don't want to be a dick. But at the same time, sometimes I, I do allow and recognize myself that like, I do have a lot of buttons still. I may always, and that's okay. They've mm-hmm. gotten a lot less. Mm-hmm. I've learned how to better manage them. And part of that is being more verbal with my boundaries of like, hey guys, like, could we not project astrology onto me right now? Mm-hmm. You know, could mm-hmm. you not assume my past lives right now? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so These are I'm, the boundaries you need in LA. <laughs> These are the boundaries you need in LA. No joke. You know, it's like, no, I don't want your rose quartz on my chest right now. <laughs> wow. No, I will okay, not yeah. go with you to the psychic. And like these boundaries, whereas before well, I would feel... Come with us to the psychic. <laughs> <laughs> before I would feel so bad and like just let it happen you know the same way I just let yeah. prayer happen to me because I didn't want to mm. be rude I didn't want to mm-hmm. offend anyone now you're and realizing now oh I'm I like, have an option to say actually no actually no and it's a tricky dance because I yeah. it's like how do I tell someone like I don't want to tell you what time I was born because I don't want you to <laughs> I don't believe in astrology and I don't want yeah. that without sounding like a dick because what you're saying is like you believe in kittens, rainbows, and Keebler elves. Mm-hmm. And like, I I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that type of mm-hmm. rational thought, you know? <laughs> and mm. it, it stings mm-hmm. and it alienates people. I find that it's counterproductive. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly was for me. So I really tried to be... There's that there's a viciously snarky side of me, guys. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> no, no loving saint, again. And I, I can rip apart pretty much anything I think that's faith-based and do it very well and exquisitely do I will make people cry and so I try not to because I know I have that in me Uh I will wolverine the shit out of someone's beliefs (laughs) and I want to and so I try to hold it in and it's really hard like that uh, storm by Tim Minchin like yes I live vicariously through him he expresses all of the things that I want to say yeah no I deeply identify with all this (laughs) Um, and and I think it might partly be a little bit of a gendered experience too not mm. entirely but I mean it's there's so much pressure on women to be nice and like if a guy's be nice spiritual. it's like how, how amazing is it this man was briefly kind but like women it's sort of like the default like you're yeah. supposed to be nice all the time yeah. and if you're frustrated it can be really hard to figure out how am I going to express that and then when yeah. you get the courage to, it took so much momentum to get through the fence that now you're kind of on a train a little exactly. bit. <laughs> you know, to sort exactly. Of be like, okay, okay, okay. No, they're hearing yeah. me. And it's really hard to are... know like where is too far? Where is like me setting a healthy boundary for myself of like, no, I don't want to give you the yeah, time yeah. I was born. Mm-hmm. Which which makes me want to <laughs> It's actually none of your business. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me want to add uh, something I said earlier when when that kid said, Oh, you woke us up for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I said that was like a boy response because I remembered like mm-hmm. that being sort of a tactic that we were taught to use to show like mm. casual oh, disinterest like yeah, you know yeah. if I were scared in that experience I would also deflect that and show that I was not scared by saying you woke us up for this oh um, right oh yeah 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 just yeah, thinking along sense. those uh, gendered responses but totally yeah. if, if I can guide you along to now I just want to get Carrie's reactions to some <laughs> of these stories um, on that same mission trip you mentioned that you and Zach were the only ones who stayed strong in your faith and said that you were believers and click you got killed uh, is that's the same boy so, that on the trip you you were attracted to so two zacks 
There were two oh. Zachs. Two Zachs. Oh, yeah, yes. it was the 90s. There were so, a lot of Zachs, yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of Lukes, a lot of Jasons, <laughs> a lot of Ryans, like, so many Ryans. Yes, mm-hmm. and like um, Matthews, Stevens, <laughs> a lot of the Bible, Caleb's. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like there was... The, They're yeah, all dead Stephanie's now. Stephanie's mm-hmm. and Rebecca's. The Zach I had a crush on. Different Zach? Mm-hmm. Okay. Different Zach. The Zach I had a crush on, he was also on that India trip with me. He was a pastor's kid? I don't think his parents were pastors. His parents had some leadership position, and so did he, but they weren't like the senior pastors. Oh, okay. But yeah, he was like a proper church kid, you know, leadership kid. Mm. Would that be an LK if like a missionary kid is (laughs) a PK, a pastor's kid? He's like an LK, like a leadership kid. Yeah, he was on the trip. I was definitely not supposed to have a crush on him. Um, I was saving myself Hmm. for my future spouse. I was totally- have a crush. No, 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 no. That was being emotionally cheating on my future husband. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. You have to unpack yeah. this because sexual yeah. purity is right there in the title. Yeah. 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 So that this wasn't just saving yourself like I won't have sex till marriage. This was way more than that. This was I won't kiss until marriage. Yeah. Very I won't date. Joshua Harris. Yes. Yes. I kissed dating yeah, goodbye. You, you yep. mentioned that book. Yeah. That was that influential. Yeah. That was the first one I read when I was 12. And then I also read Eric and Leslie Ludy's When God Writes Your Love Story, which is mm. basically it's the same recipe for godly romance, which Got is it. like you don't date, you don't handhold, you court. Oh, yeah. Um, God will reveal, you know, and you need to check in with your spiritual elders in your life to make sure you're on mm-hmm. path with God's will and not your fleshly desires, like all of that. And you described an element of this that I hadn't heard very verbalized before that not only did you have this kind of subroutine in your head processing what would Jesus do on everything, but you were like looking at everything you did in terms of how will my future husband feel knowing that I did this? Yep. Oh my goodness. Yep. Which is just like processing overload. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much processing overload. And that was a really hard habit mental habit to repair still is it's still very easy for me to slip into like how would my boyfriend feel right now if he could see me mm. you know mm-hmm. like because mm-hmm. you already have like I, jesus like is he watching me on the toilet mm-hmm. does he know he that totally i'm masturbating you he's know. watching every oh face you make <laughs> <And> so like <laughs> yeah no i i think that um that was some of the more psychologically damaging beliefs that i've had to unravel and heal from was the mental training Again, self-brainwashing of truly imagining that my future husband was watching me at all times. Because even if he wasn't, God could tell him and reveal things, right? And like God knew my heart. wow. Okay. God could see if I was being faithful to him or not. Mm. And I just... Not every kid in my youth group committed themselves to the the pure lifestyle quite the way that I did. Yeah. And that's between them and God. Of course, (laughs) I shouldn't judge. (laughs) But like, I really genuinely believe that God, I just, again, I I don't know how else to say it, but I just took everything so seriously and so literally. Mm -hmm. So if the Bible said that thinking a lustful thought was the same as cheating, it It was. was. Yeah. And if the Bible also said that the wife, the Proverbs 31 woman, mm-hmm. is to be faithful to her husband all the days of her life, that meant all the days of her life. Mm. And, oh, retroactive. Uh, yeah. Before the marriage. And also girls had arranged marriages in the Bibles. Mm. So like right. it's not they weren't going to date, you know, like their mm. dad was going to take uh-huh. some goats and camels and get them off yeah. to someone else. It, so that makes it really hard to enter into any relationship because to get yeah. even close to a guy emotionally physically yeah. um, you have to feel like you're betraying some potential other man yes. who may, may not be him but what if he is the husband how do you know how do you know you develop a brother sister relationship which that's 
bizarre. Hot. (laughs) (laughs) Incest is in. Um, It was the prelude to Game of Thrones incest trend. Start a little Luke and Leia and then uh, work your way to Han. Yeah. So I I, I wondered that. And that was a common question that all of the courtship books address. Like, well, how are you ever going to get close enough to someone to decide if you want to marry them? Well, you can hang out with a chaperone present, literally a chaperone. Like you were supposed to minimize temptation by not being alone. There was a little gray area that was between you and God where like maybe you could be alone in short periods of time, but definitely don't do anything more than handholding, right. you know, and like maybe you're make, in a car. Maybe you're in a car on the way to the movies or yeah. something or on the way to mm. Bible study, <laughs> even better, um, whatever it is. <laughs> but rules about how closed the door can be. Yes. And, yeah. And like the angle of your hug, literally mm-hmm. like what the, are you wearing? Side side. What are you wearing? You know, like where are you touching? No knees, you know, mm. do not touch knees. That's like a red zone. And so. It <laughs> well, was, I didn't realize <laughs> knees were in the Erogenous zone. Oh yeah, it's way too close to the oh, please, lap. Don't, like, oh, yeah. don't write me about your knee fantasies. I fully support them. I'm happy for you. Oh my god. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it's crazy. I have a knee jerk life. reaction. <laughs> 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 I love Again. how quick you are with the puns. Oh, I do. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like so I'm super, super faithful. Yeah. And always. And like. Okay. So Zach. Zach, I have a crush on him. Interrupts all of this. Cheating on my future husband. With Zach. I'm repenting. I'm your future husband. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which one of my friends tried to tell me because she, I would, you know, like be grieved and confessing to her. And like in my mind, it was like letting her hold me accountable. She wasn't trying to hold me accountable. She kind of thought I took things a little too seriously, Mm. but I thought she didn't take things seriously enough. Sure. And it's like, regardless, I was like, no, like I'm really struggling with this and I really need prayer because like I. I can't stop thinking about him because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a boy crazy 15 year old and he was really cute <laughs> and um so I yeah he's and he's on the India trip and we go to this place in Chandigarh India at the foothills of the Himalayas called the rock garden it's kind of exactly what it sounds cool. like but mm. cooler though that sounds pretty cool it's pretty cool it looks like the jungle book ruins like Ooh. in my mind and I'm sure that's probably not PC to say nowadays because that movie's canceled but in my mind it looks like <laughs> the ancient India of the yeah, colonial you're not allowed story to picture books. that movie now yeah no, no. Oh, yeah. the Disney one? Oh. Oh. they're all anything Disney and Disney might as well just cancel itself I, at this no. point <laughs> so, sorry I am not pro cancel culture for the record <laughs> and I love Disney I, I work for Disney animation <laughs> do you really? that's my day job sorry. yeah <laughs> So many questions for you. Citizen of evil. Yes. I did not know that. Anyway, (laughs) it was just this cool rock garden thing. And like, I wandered off by myself. He's pulling something out. Oh my gosh. Oh, Ross from Frozen. Frozen. Frozen (gasps) Sorry, it's a little dusty there. We're never going to let her get through this story. I've been waiting to give that to somebody. And then you said you liked it. Thank you. Yes. So, guys, it's this beautiful lithograph it looks like a gorgeous painting of a scene from frozen (laughs) where you have the snowman like sort of melting by the fire (laughs) and everyone else is around with their faces are nicely glowed it's beautiful thank you ross it is you're welcome oh my gosh this is lovely. So yes, I. It looks like Disney's The Jungle Book. Okay, and it was really cool. Good, I have a mental Zach, picture. Now. Yes. Okay, here we go. Um, 
it was really cool. And I wandered off and I saw this like crevice that was just begging me to go through it. Like, where is this going to take me? It was kind of labyrinthy. Literally? Yeah, like a crevice in the path. Like it was like I had to duck under a stone archway. Oh, okay. And then Zach, my crush, (gasps) like found it too and was like, should we go? But okay. I know. know. There's a lot of Freudian things going on here. (laughs) He found my crevice. You both wanted to go in. (laughs) Got it. I'm following. We're past the knees. We're past the knees. So far past. And we just kind of go off together and the labyrinth kind of, it's like a maze. It kind of winds and takes us to this even more beautiful romantic place. Oh my and like, goodness. Like my romance novel. Stupid God's getting in the way. Yeah, no yes, kidding. it's like the perfect setting for a first kiss to happen. Like yeah. you couldn't script this better. Like two Christian kids on a mission trip lost in the jungles of India. Uh, separated oh yeah. from the group by accident. And like... It was just so beautiful. And guys, to this day, I have no idea if he returned my crush. Some people think he did. Some people think he didn't. I think I will he never did. Know. Do you know his last name? Yeah. Have you looked him up? Yeah. He's still Car- Christian. Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair. Fair. No. And I'm happily taken now anyway. Yeah, okay, Someone even okay. cuter and cooler. Okay. <laughs> but Not narratively I know, I know. satisfying. But I, know. I know. I know. I can't, we can't Hollywood this ending, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but no, like we were separated from the group. It caused a scandal. Long story short, we met up with the group. They'd been worried sick about us. Where did we wander off to and by ourselves and blah. But it was fine. He, Zach, my crush, rode in with me on the rickshaw on our way back to the hotel because all the guys were supposed to partner up with girls because of sexual harassment. They didn't want us to be alone, which is kind of nice. Oh, yeah. You said someone grabbed you. Someone had grabbed my ass at the Taj Mahal. Oh, I see. A lot of shit went down at the Taj Mahal, guys. But yeah, I and so much stuff I couldn't even fit into the book on that trip. So you're not supposed to be alone with a man, but you also need a male chaperone. Chaper one and maybe chaper two. Yeah. And (laughs) chaper two. Along our rickshaw ride back to the hotel, he like stands up and picks me these beautiful leaves from the trees overhead maybe he did like me i like to think he did like me (laughs) but he gave them to me when we get back to our hotel my friend pulls me aside and she's like oh my gosh like i was riding behind you with this other guy luke and do you like him he wants to know if you like him if you like zach as if you do then i don't know he'll back off but he's gonna make a move if you don't it was just agonizing and i get into 15 yeah that's what it's all about it's the most worst thing to happen in the world yeah and Ultimately, what happened, and you can read about it in greater detail in the book, but ultimately what happened was my crush on Zach was exposed. Okay. And this other guy, Luke, had a crush on me. Okay. And essentially accused me, along with two other people, of flirting with every single man on the entire mission trip team. Okay. Leading to me having to apologize. My youth pastor went with me. From room to room. From room to room. To apologize knock, for knock, being knock. a flirt. Open the door. To the men? To the men. To the men you had supposedly flirted with? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. Oh, my uh-huh. God. It's ridiculous. And they're all standing there just thinking like, pretty girl talking to me, pretty girl talking to me, pretty girl talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was awful. It was like one of the most shame inducing it, it was the most moment of shame i've ever if, felt. Oh, if you had God. to go through all that again or have the gun held to your head and that whole thing <laughs> I'd which rather one? go through the gun honestly. is that really true yeah it really, really? Is. that one's that one gave me greater scars that lasted longer the oh. gun incident was like it was awful but it didn't give me the pdsd type thing this incident gave me <sighs> i'm not again i'm not sure if i have a right to use the term pdsd for it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It fucked me up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had those echoes anyway. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's for so for life. Up. Like 
it was just, I mean, so many, it, it affected so many other things, not just the way that I relate to men or myself or what I wear, the way I relate to a lot of the buttons I have now around social justice culture, mm. um, the idea of other people thinking that they know your motives. And so that gives them a right to call you out and hold you accountable in oh, love. Uh-huh. It's exactly like what the church did. And mm. I'm very mm. vehemently opposed to public accountability holding mm. when there's not actual crimes involved. I think that when crimes are involved, you handle that in a court of law. That's how you hold mm. people accountable. Mm-hmm. When it's perceived moral transgressions, mm-hmm. perceived moral mm. transgressions, mm. zero tolerance for that shit. So interesting. And a lot of this comes from experiencing it firsthand in so many ways. That was just one of the ways that I was held accountable in the name of love and in the name of mm. we just want you to do better and we're looking out for you and you're causing mm. harm and you don't know it and it doesn't matter what your motives and intentions are. This is feels the, very familiar to you. Yeah. Mm. Okay. It's I mean, that is the incident. It's identical. The language is identical. They they don't use the word God or the Holy Spirit. They use the words like racism and dismantling colonialism. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, in my opinion, and we don't have to get in here, but it is, an, it is a religious ideology that's not spiritually based. So we don't like colonialism, but maybe <laughs> other ways to, to fight it. I think that there are far more effective ways to win hearts than to publicly shame people mm. and humiliate them and bully them and tell them that they're wrong. Uh-huh. Maybe try to get them on your side rather than... Uh, Maybe be their friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe love them. Maybe hang out with them. Maybe in private, personally, if you guys are cool like that, you can be like, hey, so I know you didn't mean this, but like when you said this thing, it kind of landed like this to me. Like, And I know you didn't mean it that way, so can you tell me what you did mean? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, yeah. because it kind of... I know, I know you and like I know this is not at all what you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. In private, again, mm. not in a fucking tweet, guys. <laughs> what effect do you think this is going to yeah. have? You are people pushing are people away. Dig their heels. And- They're going to double down. We see it time and again. I don't know what evidence we need. Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is reminding me of two books. There's a book called uh, Rising Out of Hatred by Eli Saslow, and then another by Megan Phelps Roper, who yes. grew up in mm. the Westboro Baptist Church. Church. Yeah, yeah um, and, and in both, they make the case you're making. And I, I find that case very compelling. It's sort of where I naturally set um so i'm going to ask you the devil's advocate questions that i have to ask myself okay so there are people in this book that you're kind of holding to account right you're like you're saying fictionally protecting their privacy and their names for the most part okay i'm thinking of like the like rodney howard brown yeah yeah so like so if that didn't rise to the level of criminal which i'm not maybe it maybe it would but like so i mean and i'm genuinely asking how what what is the appropriate level or method of response years after for something like that I think that what he did, in my opinion, could theoretically be prosecutable in a court of law. I do think that physically hitting children, pushing them, I do think that kicking people, that could qualify as physical assault. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, that's different. I'm not talking about you used a word wrong. You told Mm -hmm. a wrong joke. Mm -hmm. That to me is a morally perceivable transgression. Mm. What Rodney Howard Brown did to me falls under physical abuse. Mm. That's different okay. than other more ambiguous examples is how I would answer mm-hmm. that. I mean, I think that's a fair take. Yeah, it's, it's just really hard to like and you're telling, find your hard boundaries on these rules, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And anywhere you draw the line on any of this, you're going to find things that sit between the line you just drew and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. where everybody else is at. Totally. But but also you were telling your story and his actions were mm-hmm. much very much a part of your story and what happened to you. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do think that everyone has the right to tell their story 
story. It's more like mob mentality, ganging up on people without proof, without... When someone's jumping on you on Twitter, it's not because you did something that's part of their story necessarily. What what Rodney Howard did to me falls under actual physical violence. I don't believe words are violence. Mm. Um, I think we need to keep violence reserved for violence. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about, if we want to classify it as emotional violence, I'm okay with that. Again, I take things Mm. way too literally, guys. (laughs) So to me, words really do matter. And when people tell me that you committed an act of violence Mm -hmm. with a joke, it's very difficult for me to compute and take them seriously. And I want to take people seriously Mm -hmm. when they're hurt. Mm -hmm. And I can't when it's like they're, they're using the same word that we use for assassination mm-hmm. or actual child abuse like we mm. keep, right. i we need to Preserve keep language mm-hmm. sacred <laughs> so also if a writer, you have a words problem with any of this first you need to befriend alice <laughs> get good and close to her yes. and then bring out the dagger and let her know what she did to you and honestly like i am happy to engage in private messages like i'll dm people who disagree yeah, yeah. with me all the time mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. like i realize that me saying this right now a lot of people could accuse us well that's a very privileged position to have it's like well if it is such a privileged position to have then maybe what you've experienced falls under more the realm of actual crime, like cops shooting people they shouldn't. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to accountability. Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. opposed to this. I'm talking about the difference between you don't like a T-shirt I'm wearing or you don't like a comedy special that I laughed at Mm -hmm. when you didn't find it funny. That is so different than having abuse done to you that it that is truly unjust and is truly quantifiably violent. Mm-hmm. I think we make villains out of potential allies too quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just ignorant and mm-hmm. instead of having compassion and befriending, we shame them and blast them. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's definitely resonating with me, the note about just effectiveness in terms of bringing people over to your side. Yeah. And that we so often don't practice that. <laughs> and uh, you and know, I don't either all the time. I don't know what the perfect tool yeah. is for that, but it's probably not Twitter. <laughs> it's probably not. No. And like, again, for me, a lot of this, a lot of my own particular qualms about it, they are rooted in my own trauma. You know, like they are. And a lot of people would use that to dismiss me like, oh, well, you're just traumatized. You're extra sensitive to accountability. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I am. That doesn't make it any less true well, we're also for telling, me and so many other people. We're telling the story of you learning to defend your boundaries. So it's, it's yeah. like <laughs> this is an extension of that. Yeah. And I mean, being accused of flirting, it's like they saw me stretching in the lobby one day. I was a figure skater competitively oh. and as a kid until my family started moving. And I was stretching in the lobby. And that was one of the things that my accusers used against me was that it didn't matter what my intention was. My intent had an impact that mattered more. Which is so funny because mm-hmm. they're saying so much about what's going on in their heads. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And very little about I, what yes. you were doing. Yes. And I think that you were like, an athlete stretching for your and I was sore and stiff from a long plane ride. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. If they find that sexy, that's on them. That's on them. You know, mm-hmm. if they were watching... It was things like that to where I read about this part in the book, too. Like I clutched a guy's arm one time when I'd gotten groped at the mm. Taj Mahal. To outside eyes, it looked like I was flirting. I know better than oh to God. link my arms with That's someone. That's one of the things you oh had to God. apologize yeah. for. I had to apologize for unzipping the bottom half of my cargo pant convertible shorts. I had these cargo pants that were so baggy oh and that God. unzipped into shorts. And so it's like 
things like this, mm-hmm. maybe I should have known that that would be perceived in that world as a distraction, as trying to get the guy I was sitting next to to notice my legs and think I'm flirting with him or something. But that was so the last thing from my mind. We were on a bus with no air conditioning in India in August and I was hot mm-hmm. and I wanted to unzip the bottom half of my pants to just get yeah. a little air. Yeah. And so I can't even tell you how many examples I've had like that of being held accountable in the church for things that were so misperceived. And to see that going on in real time now about different issues, uh-huh. it doesn't even matter if you clarify what your intention was, you fucked up. And the only thing you can do now is publicly lash yourself for us while we tell you, yeah, feel bad, do better. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is not okay. This is not love. This is not winning friends. So that's it, that's my stance. <laughs> I, if I can, I'd love to fast forward to another, what I think even greater mind fuck perpetrated on you and and i swear of all the stories we're telling this isn't even the half of it there's so much (laughs) in this book but after you had started your acting career modeling and acting Mm -hmm. which is crazy story like kind of the quintessential someone spotting you at the mall asking you to sign up all along the way i was expecting your parents to say no we forbid it and for whatever (laughs) reason they're like yeah do it why not Move yes. to Los Angeles. Why not? Seventeen year old. You were seventeen. I turned seventeen like a couple <laughs> weeks after I moved out here. Oh yeah. wow! Just, this is kind of like a Girl Defined. They both did the modeling thing for a little bit. Um, part of Girl Defined. Are they like very trying to reform purity culture? Yeah, type of thing? yeah. They're but okay. from within it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, they're still very Christian and very into their husband. Like it's all just like my husband is so great culture instead okay. of we're waiting for our husband's culture. It doesn't matter. Um, okay, <laughs> I've heard of them. Okay, yeah, okay, but okay. So we're, we're you leading come up, up here. to something here. Yeah, yeah. So, and then you're getting acting roles, and some of them are requiring you to kiss oh, guys, right, right. which you're you're saving for your husband, but these aren't real because they're acting. Yes. But oh, God. then a character that you've already mentioned previously comes back into your life. He's also moved out into Los Angeles. Zach? No. Luke. 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 The guy the, who had a crush on me who called me out and oh, held me accountable. And started, oh, and started that whole previous horrible thing. Yeah. The move he pulled here was such a shitty move. And I don't know, do you, do you want to describe that? Yeah, so he moved out to Los Angeles like two months after I did or something. It was a couple months after I did. Uh And of course, in the Christian world, nothing is coincidence. So it's like God brought us both out at the same time. And in my mind, it's like because God knew I was going to feel like a freshwater fish in a saltwater ocean moving to Los Angeles Mm. um, without any friends, without any Christian friends who understood my world. And like Luke could navigate both worlds because he went to public school. Mm. So he was used to being around the secular world and he was used to being around non-Christians and having his faith challenged and things like that, whereas I wasn't. And so I thought like, thank you, God, like you brought Mm. out a friend for Mm -hmm. me to help me navigate this bizarre world that I find Mm. myself in. And he... um. We were really, really good friends. And like he knew I didn't date. He knew I was like waiting for my future husband because I had to reject him in India on the mission trip like two years prior. It was like, like, no, like I can't date anybody. Like I can't date you. It's not you. It's like God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not you. It's God. <laughs> yeah, it's not you. It's, I Let's love that. Guys. That's an even better breakup line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were just really, really good friends. And then I started making more friends out in L.A. after I'd lived there for like six months or so. And one of a lot of my friends were guys because girls 
really tended to not like me and and guys did and uh <laughs> and like I was always so upfront with them that you know this was always just going to be friends and I'm lucky that I actually to this day have some of those guys that are still my very good friends and we were always ever just friends good. so yeah like some guys ended up you know trying to make a move at some point or another but like mm-hmm. it's whatever so Luke got really jealous one time when I'd been hanging out with one of my guy friends and I was I would thought it was I thought he was being overprotective like brotherly because mm. um, he was just all up in my grill like where did you guys go what did you guys talk about you know like well do you like him and I was like mm. well yeah I, I, why would I be hanging out with him if I didn't like him mm. you know sort of thing and eventually he I, I called him out I was like you just really seem like you're acting jealous like why what's going on and he was like well because God showed me that you're my future wife oh and I believed him a hundred percent. Oh wow! I can't help but see that through the lens of if that's a a ploy, like a chess move, it's a really good one and yeah. a <laughs> super shitty one. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, so definitely. manipulative. Yeah, but it's, it might have meant it, right? And and I think whether he did. okay, yeah, but it it resonated for you. Oh my god! You're it, like yeah, yeah. Well, that can't be fake. Again, why would why would people say things they didn't mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I to this day struggle. I yeah, I instantly believed him. I knew he would never lie about something like this. Like we're cut from the same cloth. We're from mm-hmm. the same churches. You know, like mm-hmm. we're. He also takes his faith so seriously. He's like a good, godly man, and mm-hmm. I should be so grateful. But the problem was, I felt nothing romantic toward him. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. like like an older brother to mm-hmm. me. He was three years older than me, so he was twenty. I was seventeen. And oh, yeah, that's a big gap then. It's yeah. a big gap then. Yeah. And, like, and you feel like you need to now manufacture feelings. Yeah, I, I totally did because um, I went along with it instantly, even though I knew I was shocked and disappointed and crushed, really. I couldn't, I didn't have time to think about it. And so in the moment, I just played the part of like, oh, I can't believe it's you. You know, like you're the mm. one I've been praying for. And mm. like, wow, God finally revealed, like of thinking like, how could I have missed the signs? Of course it's yeah. you. And everything you know? you're saying is being entered into evidence for him to pull up later if yes. he needs to. Yes. And I just thought like, even though I didn't feel anything like that for him, I thought that God would give it to me in time, that maybe once mm-hmm. we were engaged or even better, once we were married and actually could act on our lust, I would develop <laughs> lustful feelings mm-hmm. that I didn't have. Yeah, it's all got to mm-hmm. be part of God's perfect plan. Yeah. So yeah, and that's how it works. Exactly. And so I, um, I went along with it. And I remember when the first time he told me he loved me. And I said, I love you back and just felt like I was dying inside. Mm. And I cried later. And like I I felt like I I, didn't even cross my mind that I wouldn't do this because God revealed. And furthermore, it wasn't just him. He called my dad to ask for my hand in marriage. And my dad also affirmed that God had revealed that this was coming. And so did his mom. Thinking he was doing you a solid and being supportive. Exactly. He did. He did. And I'm glad you can see his heart in that because like he um, it's hard for my dad sometimes throughout my story not to be portrayed as sort of like a uh, it's it's easy for him to be perceived as a little villainous at times. Putting you you in the path of danger. So, Mm. so constantly. But, but now you've got like doubly, like God is revealed to two different people that I'm supposed to marry him. So three, it was his mom, him, his mom, and my dad. Your Bayesian reasoning is being knocked upward. (laughs) It was, yes. And it was exactly like the courtship books said, like the Uh recipe was exact, except for the biggest ingredient, which was that 
I didn't love him yeah, that way. And God. Yeah, yeah. And like that was the promise of yeah. the purity culture commitment yeah. that I made was mm. like I was so faithful to my future husband and I sacrificed my crush on Zach and I sacrificed oh. like my crush on anyone else that I yeah. loved. Heaped coals of shame upon myself for so many years for the slightest lustful thought because I was supposed to be faithful to this future husband. And if I was, God was going to reward my faith and my fidelity with this epic love story mm. and this dream come true romance. And like I was such a romantic girl and yeah, the fact that it was revealed to be Luke mm. broke me and was the mm. beginning of the end of my faith. Okay. So I won't reveal yep. too much more from the book yeah. there. You got to read it to see yeah, what yeah. happens. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's, that happened. <laughs> Man. Whoa, 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 whoa there, Alice. Hold your jets. <laughs> is that is that a phrase? <laughs> Should hold, be. Hold your jets. Well, cool your jets, hold cool. your horses. There we go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold, like your, your jets. hold your jets. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie and I need to have a little side conversation oh, yeah. about shoes. Okay. Oh, great. I was thinking, let's break off. Let's pull to the side. Let's talk about footwear. So I'm glad we're doing this. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I love shoes. Me too. Yeah. That's why I wear them pretty much every day. It's very rare that I'll have a day where I don't wear shoes <laughs> at least once. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Me too. Wait, hang on. Let me check to make sure this is... <gasps> Well, those are handsome shoes. Thank you. You are wearing shoes. Look at those. Those are very nice. Yeah. When I go out into the world, you know, I need my feet protected, mm-hmm. you know, because you step mm-hmm. on weird stuff. Yeah. The elements. Who knows? Who knows what's going to be out there? That's right. The elements. elements like molybdenum, gallium, uh, indium, uh, technetium, um, tellurium. You never know what kind of elements you're going to find out there. <laughs> and you want shoes on to protect you from those. <laughs> Granted, the shoes are also made out of elements, but the shoes I'm talking about in particular are made out of very good elements. They are Rothy's. Rothy's made out of the water bottle elements. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because Rothy's is a special shoe company that A, in part sponsored today's episode, mm-hmm. and B, they take water bottles yeah. out of the trash, yeah. turn them into gunk, Mm-hmm. That was somewhere between goo and gunk. Then they push it through a machine. I don't know how they do it, but they turn them into <laughs> shoes. Yeah, now I'm picturing like, like a, a, a grinder. Yeah, and just like this sort of thread comes out the end of it. Yeah. So plastic thread, because that's what they're known for. They create this awesome thread. They make these shoes. I'm also thinking about the element that is the water bottle. It's the WB element. Oh. Not Warner oh, Brothers yeah, yeah, water yeah, yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. We got to go to this factory. Is this the second time we've asked Rothy's to let us go to their factory? Yeah, I think you've listened to these ads, right? Rothy's. Yeah, let, Rothy's. Let this us is, come and see the process. This is now a double ad. This is one, an ad to you, the listener, <laughs> go buy these shoes. But number two, it's an ad to you, Rothy's, to in- let us come to the factory. <laughs> in the interest of transparency. But how, <laughs> however they do it, by whatever magical alchemical process, Mm -hmm. we end up with these really nice shoes which by the way always have this little blue pipe on the back of them which I think is very cool that's how you can always tell like look at someone's shoes like I like those shoes turn around aha Aha. those those are Rothy's I have a pair of Rothy's that are like orangey red penny loafer kind of shoes they're so cute very cool guess who got a new pair of Rothy's Victor you look so sad that I knew. No, I was no, I was waiting for the Figueroa. Oh, Victor Figueroa. Okay, our yeah, editor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, like you really, really wanted no, to be the one to tell me about Victor's shoes. I was just waiting, like you know, maybe she needs to regenerate between Victor mm. and build up mm-hmm. to Figueroa. But totally. that's right. Our editor 
has a pair of Rothy's and he got the RS01 sneaker, much like They're I did, cute. except kind of the same design. But he sent us a picture of his new shoes and they look very cute. Yeah, mostly white, but they've got blue in them. Anyways, it looked like a totally different shoe. So I went to the site to try to figure out which one he got. And I was like, oh, it's just another color variation ah. on the RS01. So I know how comfortable his shoes are. <laughs> I know how good research. I know how clean his shoes remain because I still have yet to wash my Rothies. No, well, but guess what? You can. You, you can. can. Yeah, you can stick them in the wash. Yeah, and they'll come right out clean. But listen, transitioning from summer to fall is easy with Rothies shoes. They have so many colors you can wear from season to season without going out of style. The best part is everything Rothies makes is better for the planet. They've repurposed millions of single-use plastic bottles into their signature thread that goes into every single one of their products. So step up your shoes and accessories. What's happening summer. here? That's as low as I can go. Okay, I'll You were using like I'll... a sultry voice. I, I know, but then yours was lower, and so I was like, okay, I have to go oh, lower than that, right. I guess. Sure, a trajectory. You got to complete it. <laughs> okay. So step up your shoes and accessories this summer and get ready to be asked, are those Rothy's? Plus, get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash oh no. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash oh no. But hey, before we get back to Alice mm-hmm. and her very interesting story. Mm-hmm. We Hi, should, Alice. We'll be right back. Sorry. We should also talk about sustenance. Okay. Yep. Because, sure, you got to protect your feet, but you also got to eat. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love eating. I love feeding. That was feeting. Oh, feeting and feeding. Oh, okay. And so I'm going to make some HelloFresh tonight while wearing my Rothy's. Okay, sounds like a good evening. My wife and I just Mm -hmm. made a HelloFresh the other day. We had a guest staying, one of my son's friends. Nice. And I was like, oh, well, this is handy because we get the meals for four people. Oh, right. But there's three of us. Mm -hmm. So usually we end up having a little leftover Mm -hmm. or Drew and I have like a a second round where Mm -hmm. where we just gorge ourselves. But this time (laughs) we're like, hey, we actually have four people. That's great. And it was really cool. It was a panini press sandwich and it came with zucchini and mozzarella, sun-dried tomatoes. Yum, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was great. Good. But we added some soy chorizo to Ooh, it. And nice. it was, okay. mm, oh, nice. Okay. Delicious. Oh, nice. Yeah, really good. As I was helping Kara prepare it, I was thinking, yeah, I've gotten way more confident in the kitchen. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. What was your confidence level before HelloFresh? On a scale of one to 10, I'd say like a three or four. And now? I'd say like a six or seven. Wow. Yeah. More than double. I can get around, yeah. You can be like Ross Mm -hmm. and increase your confidence by 130%. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, by... Getting HelloFresh. Yeah, they do a lot of the work for you. So if you're thinking, I'd like to cook, but I have to get a recipe and Mm -hmm. make sure that I'm confident it'll be good. Mm -hmm. And then I have to make sure I have all the right things. Like I have to inventory and then I have to go to the store and get the remainder of the things I need. It's just, it's a lot of prep work. With HelloFresh, it all just shows up like at your doorstep. Yeah. I love this. This is all about just like behavior change. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the good kinds. At the end of the day or Mm. whenever you eat it, it ends up being about good food. Yeah, that too. But why not make everything a social science experiment? (laughs) What if your brain was so deeply broken for making this podcast? 
podcast for 11 years and then writing a book. That everything you do. your friend tells you about his meal prep kit and you're like, that's fascinating. It reminds me of some research I read last week. Anyway, I also like to eat food and I have found HelloFresh very useful and that most of the recipes are like really approachable for most people you're going to be having dinner with. There are adventurous elements to it, but it's also going to be like basic staple stuff. We're not going to go so far outside your usual fare that your guest is going to be like, what the hell is this? Right. And you can always browse ahead like weeks in advance and see the food that they've picked out for you based Mm -hmm. on your plan. Tortellini bake or enchiladas with black beans. Mm -hmm. But every now and then you'll see something that's a little outside the ordinary, like the equivalent of a sloppy Joe or mac and cheese covered with nachos. Oh, that's right. You told me about that. And, that's why. And then you're like, yeah, this is exciting. <laughs> I, can't w- I can't wait to make this one. See, listener, this could be you. Do you have a packed schedule this fall? We all do. Well, HelloFresh has your meals covered with a weekly selection of over 30 recipes and over 70 convenience items, and they're all delivered to your door. And HelloFresh works with your schedule. The plans are flexible. You can change your meal preferences. You can update your delivery day. You can even change your address just with a few taps on the HelloFresh app or on their website. See, it's just never been easier to eat your way. You can easily customize your meals, add protein, make it veggie, whatever you got to do to get through the day. So go to HelloFresh.com slash ONO16 and use code ONO16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash ONO16 and code ONO16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. I'm sorry, Alice, you were saying? Oh, yeah, Alice, hey. Okay, well, I want to ask you just a couple questions about writing a memoir, period, Yeah, because I've never done it. And it seems very scary, mostly because of this issue of memory and telling the truth and making sure you're covering all your bases would drive me fucking insane. Anticipating everyone's response, all the people that you know. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that that too. I think though, like I would have more of a cataloging impulse of like, I have to find every document from every moment of my Mm. life so I can get as close to possible because my memory is a crunching machine (laughs) and it is not true. And maybe Mm -hmm. I have like 45 percent of it with fidelity probably not even that if we're going back really far i'm like yeah, I yeah, yeah so how how did you calm down that voice or or better how did you answer that concern so that the voice could turn down a little so i've been a lifelong journaler since i was about mm. seven or eight years old Ooh, great okay, resource good. i literally have a trunk in my home full of all my handwritten diaries wow. um, okay and then i have hard drives of my digitally written diaries Whoa. from ah. from like i guess my late teens onward i've just been a lifelong writer like an, a lifelong journaler and so those were an invaluable resource as i'm sure any writer I can bet. imagine no. okay um, so I, that allowed me to trust some of the things that I remembered. But even if you right now, we still make mistakes. You know, Absolutely. like there's still some things that we misunderstood, misinterpret, or we did actually nail on the head. Uh-huh. Mm. And people sure. are going to remember them differently for their own reasons. And mm-hmm. so being able to reference that, I was able to tell like, oh, my family was in Prince Edward Island when this happened. Oh, my family mm-hmm. was living in Kansas City mm-hmm. when this happened. Oh, no, that was like, it, it allowed my, me to my verify. Pic- my mental picture was here, but oh, okay, yeah. we were actually there. Yeah, like the Rodney Howard Brown incident I couldn't remember where that happened. I remember that it happened. But when I Googled it and I Googled the year, Hmm. the time, I was able to find, oh, 
my family must have gone to this specific conference that he was at in Indiana. Oh, wow. Because that's the only one that we, I was able to do a little Now I can narrow it down work. to the weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, so like, I was able to do some, some of that, like just some good old fashioned uh-huh. Googling and mm-hmm. research sure. to sort of verify certain things of like, like, oh, what year did I, am I remembering that right? Like, did IHOP, had they just come uh-huh. out? You know, things like that. I remember yeah. it was the turn of the millennium because I spent New Year's Eve in church <laughs> for, to welcome in the, the yeah. new millennium. Oh, right. yeah. So like, things like that. Where, yes, Y2K. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ooh, yeah, yes. end of the world. <laughs> so it was um, things like that. What I could externally verify, I did. I made okay. every effort to the best of my ability. And I checked with like my mom, like, do you have your calendar still? Like, do you, Great. like yeah. with my siblings, with, I tried to do as much as I could. And there's going to be stuff in there that's not perfect. Of course, of course. You know, was there anything that you wrote down and then went to check the source and you were like, oh, I've remembered this wrong? Yes. So there's a scene, and unfortunately it happened too late after my book had gone to print, mm. but there was a scene in my book, and I'm kind of glad I got the opportunity to explain this now, where I'm 13 years old, my family's camping in northern Michigan, and my dad and my brother get into a, a, mm. a fight, and it gets physical, mm. and I wrote it the way that I remember. It was a very one-off incident where like, my brother was complaining about the oatmeal and my dad just kind of like snapped and had a moment oh yeah and Uh I don't you know the way it started I don't remember but the way it ended was my brother was lying face down in the dirt and like my dad used to be a police officer so he knows how to like wrangle Mm. people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was just a one-off incident Mm -hmm. but it rattled me Mm -hmm. and sent off this whole other part of my day that uh, I won't get into right now but I had sent my family copies of my manuscript like almost a year before it was published Mm. before it came out it's up to them whether or not they read it Hmm. in time (laughs) um yeah brother you could have uh, said something and and at the very last minute my brother wanted some edits some things changed I went with the notes he gave me to Mm -hmm. how he remembered it but I did not give the updated version to my father who remembers it differently And Mm. when I shared my father's memory of the incident differently, my brother was like, oh, yeah, like I so like Mm -hmm. my mistake and I apologize to my dad for this. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it happened too late. But my mistake was not running the new pages by my dad, because especially about like an incident where he doesn't come off that great. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I would want his input on. Yeah. And we're cool. Like he, me like kind of owning it and addressing it and apologizing for it seems to have been enough. I'm sure it's something that sits on him sometimes to know mm-hmm. the whole world's perceiving him this way. Sure. But it did not happen how I write it in the book, which I'd have to reread because I've heard so many. There's been mm. so many versions of the story, guys, by oh, this wow. point. So mm-hmm. um, no. Mm-hmm. So there have, to your question, though, there have been instances like that where it's like, oh, no, like I got something off. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm just lucky that it didn't happen live on Oprah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I, but yeah, the, I again, I think that's the that's the risk and the, that memoirs take, mm-hmm. and it's 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 hard because we all love memoir. I love memoir. I love reading it, mm-hmm. and especially now having written one, it's like I read them all a little differently now, and I know oh, I they left things out. I wonder what they left out, mm. you know, like, I wonder what they, le- I wonder how that scene really played, you mm-hmm. know, like, I wonder how the mom's version of this would go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it is mm-hmm. so. Which is just critical, good critical thinking. We should always be doing that mm-hmm. uh, kind yeah. of about everything. Mm-hmm. We should. And, and I think that it's, it's hard because it's, you want to side with the hero of any story, you know, mm-hmm. you want to root mm-hmm. for the protagonist. And so it's, 
it's tricky to and know we, that we like, tend to tell our stories in ways that make us the hero. Of oh yes, stories. the very flattering pictures, you know, <laughs> without even meaning to. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. it comes naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, because it's, and I like to think that taps into a social survival thing, too, mm-hmm. of like, why would I, I don't know, like, even on an unconscious level, like, a self-protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. And that's why, I've, <laughs> partly why, like, I've encouraged my parents, like, write a book, like, yeah. write an article. I've inter- I've told, I remember I pitched an idea to my siblings, I'm like, hey, guys, what if we do an anthology? And this yeah. is my version. You guys can write, I'll help you edit. Yeah, be cool. No, maybe, none of them want to write a book. Maybe have them <laughs> read, um, what is Tara Westover's mom who wrote? Uh, educating. Educating, oh, yeah. That's she wrote. Clever. She wrote a book in reply. Yeah, that's, that's why. why. I yeah, need to read wayward it. and backward. Yeah, your parents should read that together. and see if they want to write their uh, counter tale. I'll read it. Four I, book yes. box set. Yes. No, I think that there could be. And and here's the thing with a lot of other memoirs like Tara Westover, like Megan Phelps Roper, like a lot of other memoirs who have written about definitely different childhoods than mine, or you know the Jeanette Walls of the Glass Castle. Like there's all these other books in the I don't know troubled childhood genre of memoir, yeah. or even ex-religious memoir. Yeah, there's mm. the. My Life in Scientology by David Miscavige's niece. Oh. Yes. Oh, Jenna. Jenna yes. Miscavige Hill. Yes. That was so good. But most people who write memoirs like mine, by the time they write a memoir, they are estranged from their mm. families. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that it's so cool I that could you've not... kept the relationship uh, with mm-hmm. your parents. Yeah. yeah. It really is. It, I'm as I have with mine, for and I'm grateful day. for. It. Yeah. 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 Me too. Because it's hard, and like I couldn't find any advice from memoir authors of like. Who still have a good relationship with their family? Who wrote books oh, that wow. were so because the, not flattering all the, the time about the their act family. of sharing that mm-hmm. with the world is such a divisive. And at that point, act. at the time that they choose to write it, it's like they've already lost their family; they have nothing mm-hmm. left to lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that mm-hmm. frees them up too, right? I'm it. sure it does. Yeah. It's devastating. I wouldn't want to trade places with them. Well, I you know <laughs> wouldn't want to write this to hurt dad, but he's not talking to me anyway, so might as well write yeah. the story. And I have friends who have memoirs that that they're waiting to write to when they're someone dies yeah yeah yeah, totally but that also creates a problem for readers because Mm -hmm. if we're only hearing from people who are at this one point in their lives or predominantly hearing from people in that one point in their lives (laughs) you get a skewed picture of the human experience so i think it's good to hear from people who are like I'm challenging my parents on this and I still go to Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, yes. we, don't, we don't get to hear that all that much. Yeah. No, no. Mm-hmm. I think it is important to hear from as many perspectives as we can. Um, that's why it. I'm all for the counter narratives, right? Your response yes. book. That's great. Do it. Yes. More books. <laughs> Yes, I th- it would be such a interesting lifelong exercise of ping ponging books back and forth. If- well, I, I feel like it would be malfeasance if I didn't ask you what got you out. And and one of the questions that always bugs me is when people do this all the time. They'll come up to me and be like, "What's the one thing that made you give up your faith?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, it mm-hmm. wasn't one thing. That's not how it works. If it yeah. was one thing, I would have fought it, you know, mm-hmm. and I did." Uh, yeah. It's it's like a it's a cascade of things. It was going to the science lectures. Mm-hmm. It was learning about evolution. And you're like, oh, cool. So it was evolution. I can go write that Ross left faith because he uh, learned about yes. evolution. No, it was no. it was a necessary yeah. but not sufficient condition. I, I invite you to give a TED talk and watch <laughs> this explode on you. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. I, I, <laughs> I know how this goes. I was also meeting out gay people for the first time. I yeah. was also reading the weird passages of the Bible, not getting good answers from anybody. I was trying to get out of the ministry, you know, within my school ministry. You know, it was a bunch of things. So I guess I, for our listeners, what, what would you say was kind of the, the quick version of the cascade that led you out of faith? But definitely what started it was the betrayal of purity culture, where mm-hmm. I'd held up my end of the bargain and God did not hold up his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That just shook everything I thought I knew mm. and made me wonder what else am I, what else is God tricking me about? 
Mm. Um, oh, so, so you're still believing in God. You're just like, I oh, believed in God for four more years. Okay. Um, okay. But maybe I don't understand you perfectly, God. Yeah. Yeah. And I, looking back now, I would say I was going through a liberal progressive Christian phase. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I didn't go to church. Paula. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. I didn't go to church. There were a couple times I tried. That was when I went to the theater church on Melrose. Nice. I, my relationship with God and Jesus was still very important to me. And I would say during that time, I really tried to embrace a more LGBTQ affirming, sex positive, mm-hmm. like side of God that other Christians seem to be able to do no problem. I couldn't do that in a church environment or even necessarily like reading the Bible because the Bible's so clear. And again, mm-hmm. as someone who doesn't take mm-hmm. met- to, well to metaphor, mm-hmm. it's very challenging not to see these mm. black and white verses. And I cannot bear apologetics. So I couldn't bear it then, uh, can't bear it now. Uh, I so oh, applaud and I'm so grateful for the people who have the patience for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too much for me. So <laughs> I think for me, it was easier to develop my own personal relationship. In some ways, it was the closest to an idea of God that I ever had mm. was that period because I wanted to believe there were a couple books of the Bible that I focused on. I stopped reading most of the New Testament and I focused on the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, that's mm. my favorite. It's my favorite too. Yeah. And the Song of Songs. Like oh, there's a yeah. few, there's a few good ones in there that <laughs> James. Anybody Which song? Ready for James? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, the whole chapter about the tongue. Yeah. Very mm. good. <laughs> Ooh, the power of the tongue. One. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, I focused on different parts of the Bible that I'd read before, but mm. were not focused on in my youth groups mm-hmm. and of my own accord. And so but God still didn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I was mm. used to Rude. it. <laughs> I yeah. just thought, I know, this is strange. Again, not holding up his end yeah, of the deal. Really, no. really. And like part of me was just used to that and figured like, okay, maybe this is just like what my faith looks like. Like God, it's just going to be a one-way street. And maybe one day oh. God will reward my perseverance and my faith. I had to have faith to have faith. Yep, yep. And mm. it was like, it was a lot of that. And I started just living in my humanity more and things weren't adding up. Um, I had sex and nothing bad happened. Only good uh, things happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> good things uh-huh. happened. That's weird. It's like the only negative thing is my own self-judgment and yeah. feelings of ickiness. And like, and that was that was one of the things that was so crazy to me is I didn't feel icky. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't you. feel icky until I lost my faith completely. Then I felt icky about sex and it was a trigger. Oh, oh, but it was it's weird to me even now. Like I'm like funny how that played out. Hmm. But as a Brains. progressive Christian, it was like, no, like this is good and God is love and this is love and this is mm. consensual and like I was able to rationalize it somehow mm. still. Okay. And I didn't I didn't feel the shame. I didn't feel like I'd given away something of myself I could never get back. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was attached to this person forever. Mm-hmm. You know, we had soul ties or whatever. Like I didn't mm-hmm. feel that. I just felt kind of neutral and kind of curious and amused mm-hmm. by it all and like good things. Mm-hmm. And then like I had gay friends who cared for me and mm. like I, they were some of the best people I knew and I'm like there's no way they're going to hell but hmm. God mm-hmm. says you know there's no but like how how do I the problem of hell really started to weigh on me as I had more and more friends who were going there yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. my Scientologist yeah. friend one of my best friends ah. he was oh. the only one who came and brought me soup one time when I was sick and I was oh. like there's no way you're going to hell um, and like I there were it just all these things didn't add up the people that I knew that did not have the Christian God in their life were happy they were whole mm-hmm. they were not broken they were kind mm. they were patient they were love they mm. were not judgmental they kept no record of wrongs mm. <laughs> yes i'm First flipping Corinthians Corinthians. 13, yeah. <laughs> they were love yeah. no christians that i knew embodied the fruits of the spirit the fruits of the spirit <laughs> yeah. more than non-christians wow. in my life i yeah. know they're out there of course and i know i've met them 
but I didn't see them that way because I was so scared of their judgment and their accountability. Uh It was the people that had grace for me, that had empathy for me, that had patience for Mm -hmm. me, that loved me. They did not blast me. They did not pray for me. Uh They did not brandish my sins Mm -hmm. and make a spectacle of me. (laughs) They, it was non-Christians of the early 2000s (laughs) in Los Angeles who, who showed me what real human love was. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that was what slowly drew me out of faith. Um, I watched a movie on abortion called Vera Drake about a mid-century abortionist. Mm -hmm. And my friend who I was with, he's very secular and like, was like, how can you be pro-life after watching that? Oh, it was a very private, intimate conversation. I was like, I don't think I can be. Oh, wow. I think I can be for myself, but uh-huh. I don't have to be legally for other people uh-huh. because I've not been raped and impregnated. Uh-huh. I've not mm. I've not had an mm. inconvenient time where I've gotten knocked up and just I already have a kid to feed. I'm not mm. in these other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. So like it was things like that, quiet late night conversations, moonlit hikes, it was drunken nights, you know, it was like mm. real human moments that defied everything I was taught about the world. Mm-hmm. It was safe. It was good. Mm-hmm. I know it's not always. I know it's not Mm. I know that's why a lot of people come to religion is because the secular world has been cruel, violent, and abusive to them. I get that. I'm just sharing what my experience was. Mm -hmm. In my world, Christians were the ones that made me feel so much shame and so shitty about myself. And it was non-Christians that made me feel safety and love Mm. and acceptance. Mm. And it was the opposite of the script that I was given about them and about myself. And Again, hell just really fucked with me. Like, Mm, how mm -hmm. can they be going? Like, there's (laughs) something not right. Again, going back to that feeling of like, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. That really just weighed on me. And then I, my boyfriend at the time, he wanted to watch the documentary Jesus Camp. Yes. Oh, sure yes. you guys Great have movie. seen yeah. Oh, yes. So yeah. good. Yeah. So I good. went to Jesus camp. Yeah. yeah. Same girl. Same. Yeah. I did so, just for a weekend. But <laughs> yeah. My goodness. So I, we were watching it in bed together post-coital. <laughs> <laughs> and we, it's not even 10 minutes into the film where we see Becky Fisher, the children's pastor, like praying in tongues and all these other little kids mm. like following suit. Mm. And I hadn't thought of this shit in so long. <laughs> I'd blocked a lot of it from memory and it all just came rushing back and I freaked the fuck out, turned the TV off, <laughs> shaking there. And my boyfriend's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, mm. I can't even verbalize what's going on because I don't even know what's going on. In retrospect, I was triggered and I was having a massive anxiety attack. Wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd never had one. I had no idea what I, I didn't know how to explain. Like I was like, Your I'm okay. Your bodily reaction. Yeah. I was like, I know I'm physically okay. Like I'm, I'm okay, mm-hmm. but I'm not okay. And I mm-hmm. couldn't, I didn't want to talk about it to him. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go there. And mm. I didn't well, want to remember. Well, that was probably part of the panic attack then. For yeah. sure, because yeah. I'm trying to stifle yep. what cannot be the, stifled. Yep. And panic of panic is the worst <laughs> of all the panics. <laughs> I mean, a recursive problem. It's truly, yeah, yeah, that's that's what panic disorder is. It's panic about panic. Yeah. And how do you, it's such an uphill battle to yeah. fix that. I mean, um, there are we'll some, get to the panic there are parts some things, of my book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. No okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared. Have some I'm okay. I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm, um, I, I, I'm lucky I don't have panic disorder. Good, so good, good. Okay. Good. But yeah, like I, you know, at the time, like I just went home and I, I just, it took me years before I was able to finish watching Jesus Camp. And once I mm. did and I was able to be in my body and breathe through it, like 
I still get, as I'm sure you guys can relate, there's still parts of it like you get the sweat, you get your heart mm. rates, you remember. It's like, oh, yeah, that, you know, it's like still a very mm. much a visceral viewing experience for me. Oh, but wow. I can look at it more from a research standpoint now and be mm. like, yeah, good. Yeah. You know, it can. St- I still have my moments. But once I watched that movie, it was months later that I lost my faith completely because mm. it um, mm. he it prompted my boyfriend to ask me, why do you still believe in God? Mm-hmm. ultimately like because we did mm. have conversations but he asked me like why do you still believe in God because I I told him that I didn't I want to identify as a Christian anymore because I didn't oh, yeah. I liked my secular people more yeah. I didn't uh, want to be associated yeah. with the Westboro Baptist Church funeral uh-huh. picketers that I was yeah. seeing on the news right, and yeah. I didn't want to be associated with hell with thinking my friends were going to hell because I'd had one or two of them ask me about it one time they're like so like do you think I'm going to hell mm-hmm. like and it was as awkward, awkward. as you imagine yeah um, I, I don't I don't want to trample on your story, but you're reminding me of like no, when, when I was still in college and leader of the Bible study group and processing all this stuff and feeling really guilty saying things like love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm-hmm. We went to the AIDS walk, mm-hmm. which they hold here in Los Angeles every year. And and I made that an annual thing. And I was still kind of working out my own internalized homophobia. And I re- remember as we were walking, it was maybe the second AIDS walk I'd done. There were always protesters on the side, Mm -hmm. you know, with their angry signs and everything. And I went to talk with one and kind of not chastise him, but just sort of ask him, sort of probe the edges of his faith and and whether this was effective. And, you know, I I thought I was giving him some points to think about. And I came back to my group and a woman from my school asked me, oh, talking to your buddies, huh? And Mm. that hurt me so badly. Like, and Mm. I, I wanted to like defend myself and be like, yeah. well, why do you think I'm here? And no, I don't. Mm. But I, that's not my response. I internalized that. And anyways, it was just, it was mm. awful. And, and when you said that, like not wanting to be associated with Christianity, that mm-hmm. was kind of at that moment where it was like, well, do I just stop calling myself a Christian then? So people mm-hmm. don't make that association. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. you were yeah. saying. No, that's totally where I was. Like that's, yeah. And it's actually reassuring to hear when other people can relate to that because it's like, I think I think some people, it, it can be a more dramatic, faster shift of faith. But for, for me, and it sounds like for yourself, it was a much slower, gradual undoing. And it always is. Yeah. Conversions can be mm-hmm. quick. Deconversions, not so. They tend to be a lot longer. So you general. can't just show somebody Jesus camp and they'll deconvert. That's no. not how that works. No, no, no. <laughs> Gotta no. lay the groundwork. And I'd had a lot of ground laid by the time I watched that. And by the time he asked me, you know, like, why do you believe in God Mm. at all? Because I was like, I don't believe in the Christian God of that type of God. Now I would maybe use the term evangelical. But remember, Mm -hmm. I didn't consider myself evangelical. I was never even religious. Right. So (laughs) it was like, but you just have a relationship where someone never talks to you. And I called myself a Christian, but that was like not a denomination. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it's just a fact. It's just a fact. And it was the truth. I was on the one true religion. So it was like, it was the truth. And (laughs) I know, crazy. By the time he asked me that question, there had been enough groundwork laid, enough chipped away that it really hit me. He's like, well, why do you want to believe in God at all? Like, why... I mean, okay, you're not calling yourself a Christian, but like, why do you even yeah, believe any, anything yeah. about it, you know? Yeah. And I couldn't answer him. Mm. And it just haunted me. Mm. It just haunted me. The like, timing is so essential. If he'd asked you that two months earlier, yeah, could have done a completely different yeah, thing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, totally. And like one of his good friends was kind of deconstructing is the term I could maybe use now. Like she was beginning to deconvert slowly. She ended up mm. staying. Um, she didn't deconvert entirely, but she was going through similar doubts at the time. And mm. like he would hear us talk and like 
I don't know. I think he was mm. just so mystified. He grew up in the Bible Belt, but he like never committed the way mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I couldn't answer him. And so I had to find out for myself. Why did I believe in God? Mm-hmm. And I gave God a test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Do something supernatural, God. Yep. Here's your chance. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't asking for much, guys. It wasn't. all about it. <laughs> I'm not asking him to part a sea or turn anyone to pillars of salt. Like, or to leave so the grass dry while the fleece gets wet. Yeah, and I then wasn't... the next day, get yes. the grass wet and leave the fleece dry. <laughs> so it, that's specific. That's... It worked for Gideon. Gideon needs to join the yes. CFIIG. That... Better construct this test. <laughs> like, when I was having my final conversation with God, I was like, but Gideon, I know he has for a sign. <laughs> oh. Did I use the wrong seeds? <laughs> oh, do I need no. to find a fleece? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, what do you hope that people will take away from this book? And what have they been taking away from this book? Mm. Um, I feel so grateful that the answer is kind of one and the same. I feel like they have taken away what I hoped they'd take oh, away. Good. I mean, it's always interesting to me when I hear from someone who like caught something that I totally missed, mm-hmm. you know, or like I didn't realize I was saying. But I I feel extremely grateful that my intent in writing the book was to let other people going through a similar deconversion, A, know that they weren't alone mm-hmm. and to feel like they could have a language for mm. their own process and I have some of the most gratifying feedback I've gotten was is hearing from people who were like, I showed my mom that chapter of your book because I've never been able to tell her how it felt for me. And she read that chapter. Now she understands that mm. even though she didn't mean it that way, that's how it felt to me. Mm. It's easy to see the book as a shot across the bow for your family, but it's also a gift to them. They get to learn a lot about you. They did. They did. And I think my parents especially had no idea how I internalized Mm -hmm. so much of this thing. They did not know. And I Mm -hmm. write about this a little bit towards the end. They really didn't know a lot of the things that we were being taught in youth group and children's ministry. They were having they were undergoing like genuine moments with God and worship and having mystical experiences while we were they thought we were just kind of like being babysat essentially and being told some Bible stories. I feel like this they is did a not common realize theme. that mm-hmm. we were being trained yeah. for holy war and mm-hmm. trained to be martyrs, literally. I may never <laughs> march in the exactly. infantry ride in the cavalry. You mentioned that in oh, the yes, book. Oh yes, it's the opening of chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> so like and they didn't know about the martyrdom exercise. I told them in person before they they read it in the book. But okay. like there was a lot that they found out yeah. that they did not know that broke their hearts for me as their daughter, as someone they love that they didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And there were other things that I'm sure they just remember differently. And like they they can't fault me for seeing it how I saw. But mm-hmm. boy, gosh, was it different how they meant it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And it was. Mm-hmm. Both can be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when I hear from people who have read the book who can relate to, you know, obviously the child's perspective. I'm not a parent. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it would be like to read my book as a parent, Mm. especially one who maybe brought up their kid in this. Like, Mm. but it's also been really touching to hear from parents who have read my book, who have been like, wow, you know, I was your mom or I was your dad. And now my kids don't talk to me because they're still in it. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's been, yeah, it's been, and they're like, this helps me understand why. You know, oh, because yeah. I put yeah. them in this thing. I raised them in this way. Of course they're not. How can they forgive me for some? Of, I don't know. It's like too much for them to process. And so like I hear from all sorts of people, people of other religions too. Yeah. Ex-Muslims who really relate to my book in some mm-hmm. way. Or I don't know, like ex, I had an ex-Mennonite woman reach out to me 
Um, she wrote her own book, Patty Bear. She wrote a book called From Plain, P-L-A-I-N, as in a plain Jane type of thing, to plain, P-L-A-N-E, because mm. they, they're called the plain people, the Amish Mennonite community. Oh, I okay. see. And she became an Air Force pilot. Her journey uh, is amazing, okay. guys. You won me over to that title. <laughs> yes. At first, I was I like, know, oh, I got, not as good. Not good <laughs> SEO is it. <laughs> but it all makes sense. Yeah, stories, now I like it. It's absolutely incredible. Shout out to Patty Bear. Read her book. It's an, it's incredible. But like she really related How to a lot of my stories. How did she spell her last name? B-E-H-R? B-E-A-R, I believe. Like the okay, animal bear. Okay, well, we yeah. From B-E-A-R right. to B-A-R-E. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the tell-all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> No, like she, um, she about that incident that that martyrdom drill that happened to me leading up to the mission trip to India. She wrote me. She was like, "That's worse than some of the military exercises we've had to do in preparation for like terrorism captive <clears throat> holding." You know, Gosh. and she 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 was horrified. You know, and if she's telling me this as someone who's served in the military for a very long period mm. of time and has done exercises I will never do, most of us will never do. Um, for her to say that was like, whoa. But yeah, I think what I most wanted people to take away was encouragement to know that a they weren't alone and going through what can feel like such an isolating experience that um depending on where you live and who you know can there's not always people you can talk to about it yeah, yeah. and b um to know that like it, it gets better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it definitely gets better it got fucking rough for me after i left my faith and i'm not shy about talking about the religious trauma aspect of it all but it gets better and i also just wanted to encourage people to and this kind of came out at the very end to dare to doubt and that ended up becoming the name of the not-for-profit organization i started dare to doubt.org that's a resource site for people who are either just beginning to doubt or maybe they've been out for years and years but whether they want to find a secular therapist, whether they want to find a peer meetup group and hang mm. out with other ex-believers, whether they need a safe place to stay because they're under threat of honor-based violence killings or genital mutilation. I built the resource site for people from a bunch of different, to try to serve different needs for different backgrounds. It's not exhaustive. Um, mm. I'm just one mm. person. Mm. I've had a lot of help, you know, a lot of very generous people who have given their time to help me build the site. But yeah, that that line came out of my book, you know, like to dare to doubt. I want people to have the courage to f- trust their doubts, to trust their own instincts, to follow their questions. And the feedback that I get from readers who have read it is all of that and more. And it's in, it's great. incredibly touching to hear everyone's stories, even the people who very much disagree with me about many other things in life mm-hmm. can have said, you know, but I understand it, you know, mm-hmm. like I understand now where mm. you're coming from. It's so interesting now. It's out there. And like I yeah. worked on it for so long and it's it's mm. still weird to talk about a little bit. I've gotten used to it doing a virtual book tour. It came out in the pandemic. So it's mm. all been right. virtual. It's been lovely like this chatting with wonderful people like you <laughs> and talking to your wonderful listeners. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been a trip. Just so grateful that I got to do this and that I did get out as young as I did and that I am able to help someone put words to their feelings. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I remember actually at that same book club where we met each other. Now you've guest hosted. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've met a man who left faith at 65. Wow. Jerry Brown, not the governor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's how he introduces himself, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Brown. I've met that Jerry Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. N- now dearly departed. But, uh, you know, he would he would volunteer with Atheist United. And yeah, he said, I was 65 and I looked at myself in the mirror one morning and said, 
you don't actually believe this, do you? Oh, <laughs> it, wow. it was so fun to hear him tell his story. So it's wow. it's never too late. But uh, what, what you said resonates, you know, like you've got the rest of your life now to uh, mm-hmm. look at the world in a, in a freer way. So. I view myself as just incredibly lucky in so many ways, especially the more I've been invited to certain events, um, to speak at certain conferences. Um, the fact that I'm still close with my family alone is yeah. insanely lucky. and. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel so insanely lucky <laughs> and grateful that, that it means something to people. Wonderful. Well, everybody now wants to read Wayward, <laughs> a memoir of spiritual warfare and Followed sexual by purity. Backward. <laughs> Followed by Backward by my parents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Griffin. Yeah, let them know. Send, send, tweet at me. Throw up in my DMs so I can show them. Be like, see, you have an audience. Like, how many how many first-time yeah. authors can have a, a panting audience who's, like, hungry to read their right? book? You've, yeah. you've already got sales uh, yeah. that'll help you sell the book. And then daretodoubt.org. How else can people find you and follow you? So I'm most active on Instagram. and uh, My Instagram handle is just at Alice Gretchen. Just my name. No underscores or anything. And Gretchen um, is just how you think it's spelled. G-R-E-C-Z-Y-N. I'm not helping anything. Sorry. G-R-E. Oh, what did I say? Jesus. You keep missing the E. Yeah. Ooh. So G-R-E. C is in cat. Z is in zebra. Y N is in Nancy is how I tell people when I order pizza. <laughs> It's the classic way. It's the classic yeah, way you, you spell just gotta Gretchen. spell it. Is that Polish? It's Polish, okay. yeah. You know, I just found out this year that it's technically Ukrainian. Ooh. But Polish... Solidarity. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I just found out all this stuff about my dad's side of the family that I hadn't owned before. And oh, like, interesting. Yeah, like, I found my, my great-great-grandfather's um, immigration papers. Oh, he, like, cool. When he came to the States Ooh. from Ukraine, which was then present-day the K- Austria. Because oh, yeah, the, the borders have moved a bit. Yeah, the borders have moved, but it's present-day Ukraine. And it's like, oh my gosh, we had no idea. My huh. his wife is Polish, so wow. there's I definitely am Polish, like yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But like, uh, along with Asian and like a bunch of other things. But but yeah, the last name huh. is some Ukrainian Polish thing. And I can't even that. spell it when I'm looking at it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Alice. This yeah, has been you. such a fun conversation. Oh, thank you guys. I really appreciate getting to be here. Yeah, of course. Well, what a lovely conversation. Yeah, we went for a long time, but we could have gone longer. Thank you so much to Alice for coming on. Yes. And you can support us by leaving us a positive review. That really helps. You can buy a Jumbotron. Mm-hmm. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash join mm-hmm. and become a member of our Max Fun family and support us directly. Mm-hmm. You can get on rack tattooed on the back of your right hand like the Mark of the Beast. You could. <laughs> You could. And then form your own monetary system where you will only sell things to other people with the on-rack tattoo on the back of their hand. We can't stop you, but I will shake my head slowly at you. <laughs> just at live shows, <laughs> just go ahead and put it on your hands. Sure. With a Sharpie. Pretend it's a tattoo. It can be a fun thing, but then just, you can wash it off. But I'll still world. shake my head at you. Yeah. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'll nod my head at you like, yeah, buddy. Yeah, you did it. Okay. 69. Okay, wise guy. That's it for this episode. This episode was edited by Ross. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. And remember. Buy Bitcoin now. It's low. (laughs) Don't be one of those people who's kicking yourselves when it gets up to the 60,000s again. Buy now. Is this real advice? This is real advice. Okay. I'm also going to say, or wait, do you guys do the lead in? No, that's fine. That's fine. It's never too late to change your mind. 
and it's never too late to say you're sorry. And once again, it's never too late to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole other episode. Or to change your mind about my <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> there i'm ellen weatherford and i'm christian weatherford and we've got big feelings about animals that we just gotta share on just the zoo of us your new favorite animal review podcast we're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness ingenuity and aesthetics guest experts give you their takes informed by actual real life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks cheetahs and sea turtles It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.